Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Bitchin' Brew, the podcast all about having a good time, talking about good art with good people. I, as ever, am your host, Danny Randon. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then welcome, stick the kettle on, alternatively maybe crack open a cold one, put your feet up, I hope you have a bitchin' time with us today. And to those of you who are returning listeners of Bitchin' Brew, then welcome back. This is the first episode of the podcast in a minute because... Well, because reasons. So uh, thank you for your patience. It is good to have you back and it is good to be back. Uh, Like I said at the top, this is a very special episode and one that I always particularly look forward to putting out, even with all the, the hard work and the stress that entails. As you may already know from the title, this is our annual Albums of the Year special. We've been doing these every December since the launch of Bitch and Brew all the way back in 2016. Now, I considered for all of about, I don't know, three seconds just not doing the album special this year and hitting the reset button in 2021, but I thankfully came to my senses fairly quickly and realised how silly that would be because despite it being a, a shitty year for nearly everything, one thing that it wasn't shitty for was new music. Another thing that it certainly wasn't shitty for was new films, but more on that at the end of this podcast. So... I called up my dear, dear friend Dan Fisher, someone who is now pretty much a semi-regular guest on the podcast, and someone who I knew would be a, a great companion as I settled back down into this uh, into this podcasting lark. So together we counted down our respective top 10 albums of 2020 before giving out this year's golden tea bags, which, if you've not listened before, are what I call Bitch and Brew's annual awards for let's say, achievements in alternative music. So I also called on a few awesome artists, uh, including some previous guests of this podcast, to tell me not only what their favourite record of the year is, but also what they want for Christmas, because tis the season to be bitching. Um, I'll keep the rest of this intro quite brief, but first a couple of notes and disclaimers. Because of the ongoing lockdown restrictions, this was recorded over Zoom, so there may be a a small handful of audio imperfections. I hope it really doesn't put you off listening to to Dan and I. Um, the other quick thing I wanted to mention for the for this is you know because for the sake of sanity, I I actually had to have a, a cut off point this year where I had to finalise my list and tune out of some of the last few new releases of the year. Certainly tuning out of them in regards to considering them as part of this list. Having now had a bit of time to listen to some of those records properly, there are definitely some which have which have earned praise. I just can't do that right this second, and I think the first episode of 2021 may involve me looking back at some of the late bloomers of 2020 so that we can give them the airtime that they do truly deserve. Uh, So if you like the sound of that, make sure you are subscribed on your podcast platform of choice, Um, and we look forward to having you back then. Uh, All right, so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to um, me and to Dan Fisher and commence the countdown to crowning the Album of the Year 2020. For the fifth year running on Bitch and Brew, it is time to look back at some of the year's outstanding music releases. This is the Albums of 2020 special, and joining me for it, through the wonders of modern technology, like the fucking albatross dead waiting around this podcast proverbial neck. I just can't seem to get rid of it. Oh, hang on. 
Hang on a minute. I think I've got the wrong notes here. Two seconds. <laughs> oh, dear. This is awkward, isn't it? Oh, here we go. Sorry. So much is happening at the moment. I don't, I don't know who those notes were intended for. These are the right notes. Back on the podcast for a record-breaking fourth appearance. He is very intelligent, very handsome, uh, just a lovely human being who talks a I, very I good game when it comes to music. I couldn't disagree with this more already. This is... <laughs> I can see your face. You know when you can spot a liar from a mile off? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Luckily, everyone else can't see my face. It's a, it's um, a bluff, I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dan Fisher, welcome back to Bitch and Brew. How the hell are you, sir? I'm all right, all things considered. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm not doing too bad, thank you. I'm not doing too bad. I'll, I'll uh, tell you what, mate, to, uh, to, to complete the saga of me being on here, I remember we did, the first one we said earlier, it was three years ago, we did this um, uh, albums of... What's 2020 minus three? Uh, 2017. That's the one. I'm already leading into that intelligent uh, introduction you gave me there. <laughs> uh, we said then um, I'd never had any hot drinks. And we've always joked with the idea that I'll finally have my first one. Uh, and so th- I remember we did that one and we, we ended up with Alco Pops, mate. But, um, we did. So yeah, what have you got this time? time? I'll tell you what, mate. I've joined the dark side. I've actually <gasps> got a, a nice cup of tea. Oh. This, is, this, is, this is what a pandemic's done to me, mate. I've become all sorts of boring. <laughs> so, how are you having your, your tea or coffee or whatever hot beverage it is? I, I assume it's tea that I'm supposed to be having, right? Is that the, is that the thing or is that a... a any, have I any, it already? <laughs> anything goes. <laughs> anything goes. It, it's just a cup of green tea, mate. It's, it's nothing... a cup of green... Oh, lovely green tea. I I've gone I'm, for... I'm trying to look after myself a little bit. I think, <laughs> I think that, that's the one thing the pandemic's really, uh, really driven home to me is that... When you can't really do much, you've got to do everything you can. And you know, <laughs> if I do a, a little bit of green tea, you know, I can just pretend that I'm okay. Preserving what crumbling ruins are left. Exactly. My, my body's a temple, mate. One of those ones when you go to like a, <laughs> a failed European city, you know? <laughs> like a bombed out church, you know? <laughs> oh, God, right. Uh, well, you kind of alluded to it. Last time you were on the podcast earlier this year, you were here with a friend of the pod, Benny Pollard, uh, <laughs> talking about your own podcast shenanigans and the, and the baffling decision you made at the start of lockdown to watch 100 Nicolas Cage films in 100 days. Um, people can listen back to all the episodes of Uncaged now, which you finished a few months back. I anticipate that you'll be publishing a a full thesis on the matter soon. But in the meantime, what were your kind of key findings from doing Uncaged with Benny? I I think I learned a lot about... I learned more about myself and Benny than I did about Nick Cage, which was a nice takeaway from it. (laughs) Um, One thing that I learned maybe maybe a week and a half in is that I don't really like Nick Cage films. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was, uh, I, I know it's a, it's a difficult pill to swallow when you're uh, when, when you're sat there for that long watching them. But um, <laughs> to be honest, it's it feels like forever ago now. And when we were doing it, it felt like such. It did feel. It got to the point where it becomes such a chore and felt like a downer. But it was always it, 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 recording with Betty every day was a real highlight. I think I didn't really notice a lot of the kind of lockdown problems because I had that kind of constant uh, conversation piece with Ben every single day, and it was almost like a little support bubble. That it was weirder when it ended 
than than it didn't feel weird doing it necessarily. Mm. It was easy to complain about it, but in the grand scheme of things, it was actually I think quite good for both of us. I think I think the moments after that, like the week after that, when I realised I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself now. Lockdown hasn't ended like we thought it was going to, and uh, <laughs> but I'm well, also very much unprepared to ever do it again. So, <laughs> well, I was going to say, has Uncaged inspired any other challenges to take on as we inevitably head into a third lockdown? Is is 2021 oh, the God. year that we see the launch of? Um, I know you joked about it in the past, but the Richard Gear podcast, Gearheads. <laughs> I I honestly don't think I could do it. I honestly don't. <laughs> we 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 toyed with the ideas of doing kind of shorter bursts of things, things that we could complete, um, more like endurance things in like uh, how much could we get done in a day and moving platforms to Twitch maybe. Mm. So we we had some ideas where we were gonna. I, I won't spoil anything for you, but um, there was a couple of ideas floating around like trying to watch all of the Fast and Furious films in chronological order <laughs> in in one sitting whilst live streaming on Twitch and trying to do something that we could raise money for for, for whatever at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, di- it's difficult to not just say me. I've, at what point am I the charity? You know, at, what po- <laughs> at what point do I become, I need the money. <laughs> but no, but for, for, for a better cause than um, idiots from Totten, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear, I, I was think I was thinking about you the other day when I saw the announcement that uh, Nicholas Cage is going to be um, hosting a new series. I don't know the full <laughs> name. It's something about a history of swear words on Netflix. So every time he now gets any article or anything written about him or announces a new show or a new film, my inbox just goes insane. Like, I can tell before <laughs> I've even looked. I woke up with like thirty messages from people that I don't often speak to. Just being like, have you seen? And I was like, yeah, okay, I, I, I see what's happening here. So I've seen that this is happening and I'm approaching it the same as I'm trying to approach any of his new releases because I'm sure we'll, me and Ben will get the team back together for uh, <laughs> any new films. It seems silly to stop when we've already done all of the others. Yeah, exactly. Um, You've got to complete the set. Yeah, so I, I can't remember the exact title of it, but I'm aware I watched a little bit of the trailer and then turned it off because I want to go in blind. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> He he really is someone that keeps you guessing, you know. He's the gift that keeps I, I, on giving. I, exactly. I thought that I'd have a better understanding of his decision making by now. Uh, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I, I have no idea what he's going to do. It's the many joys of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you think you're out of the cage, <laughs> he, he, he pulls, pulls you back, you back in. in. <laughs> yeah, the the door's locked. It's a cage within a cage within a cage. <laughs> There's no escape. It sounds like some batshit WWE stipulation from the 90s. <laughs> like the Punjabi prison match. Oh, God. I started on that. <laughs> <laughs> what I did find um, after doing that for such a, like, so we did that for the 100 days, like, really early in the lockdown. Um, so it was literally as the first lockdown started was, was when we started. So we didn't really know what we were in for, but what I realized uh, very quickly with my very addictive personality and I have to be kind of all or nothing with everything was how quickly once, once that died and like uh, I actually had free time and my own decisions to make the phases that I went through after that, like as I'm now in some sort of health kick phase, which will no doubt last another three weeks before I become a complete piece of shit again. (laughs) The phase is just around the corner. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) So I, I, again, like I've not had a drink now for about three months. 
uh, again that that's um, it, that's going to end very quickly i imagine but the, <laughs> the, the weird phases that i went through after the nick cage phase that uh got progressively worse and worse until i found myself uh I, I realized I'd never got into into sports, so I got really into sports for a few weeks, which then led led to me thinking maybe I should get into gambling as, oh. as, as a hobby. <laughs> That's an awful idea. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, many, many, many failed ideas. That it it would almost at this point be a, a better idea to bring back the, uh, <laughs> the Nick Cage stuff. It seems like a healthier outlet for my awful decision making. Yeah, to be, maybe take that to <laughs> drinking is probably yeah. more healthier than. <laughs> This is what I said to people. It's like I've given up drinking. It's like, oh, what, what have you kind of done inside? You like exercising? I was like, no, I'm gambling now. <laughs> My God. So, so it's really encouraging that off mic we've already been talking about the likes of Mr. Blobby and Scooter and the Darkness. But talking about the albums of of 2020, what what are your thoughts in general on uh, 2020 as a year for music? Do you think it's kind of been that vintage year that a lot of people have been talking about? It's been an interesting year. For It's impossible not to rule out the circumstance when it comes to what's been released and how things have been released. And I think that's been the interesting thing more is how things are being released now without being able to play shows and tour. So I think... Um, in the way that kind of the year kicked off for releases with like the likes of Code Orange having to live stream their their album show and things like that. And it's really brought out the creative side in a lot of artists, but it's also managed to make it so easy to miss great releases as they come about. So I'm, with that said, very excited to hear what you've got for me as well, as far as your <laughs> releases, because I'm sure that there's stuff that, like I said, I didn't even know if Mr. Blobby had released a record this year. Because I'm not sure Mr. Blobby would know the live stream, you know. <laughs> How am I going to know? <laughs> yeah, his his fingers wouldn't be able to like you know operate. I'm not, the keys. I'm not sure he can. I'm not sure he can type in that suit, you know. Yeah. Is it a suit? Um, Is it a suit or a birthday? No, it's suit? just it's just his skin, mate. It's just his okay, fle- yeah. skin, flesh, and bone. Nothing. Let's what, not let's not let not don't ruin it for the kids, you know. He's, yeah, yeah. He's a true blob. The kids every... I'm worried about. Come on. Unless you can tell <laughs> me right, that Pingu isn't a real penguin. <laughs> I, 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 I feel quite similar to you though. I feel like I've, I've missed a lot of records that were, you know, making a top 10 because last couple of years we've done like a, a top 20, but this year coming back into the podcast after a few months off, I wanted to keep the workload relatively light. So kept it to a top 10. Um, and yeah, it, it was quite a challenge to, to whittle that. I think I had like an initial list of 30. Uh, so whittling it down to 10 was, was quite the challenge. Um, it was one but, of those um, when you when you first said about it, I was worried about um, picking out ten albums in a year that I've mostly listened to uh, the first say anything record more than anything else. <laughs> oh I, I found I found this year for me to be huge for nostalgia. Okay, but I don't know if that's part of the not being able to go out or anything like that. But I I had a great time this year revisiting a lot of key albums and uh, so some that I'd overlooked in the past as well. So I really enjoyed that. So when you said about albums of this year, I was like, oh, I feel slightly underqualified for that. But sure, and it wasn't <laughs> until I started compiling a list that I realized how many incredible albums had come out this year that I thought were like the year before because this year has just been never ending. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I, I think that came out like the beginning of this year feel like two years ago at this point. <laughs> I think, uh, I think as well, you know, talking about that nostalgia element, um, I think people have wanted to go back to the records that they know are kind of comfort blankets for them. Exactly that, and I think that's probably a lot to do with it. And um, yeah, yeah, I, 
I, in most scenarios wouldn't describe that say anything record as a comfort blanket. <laughs> but, uh, I, I also are, wonder you know? I also wonder whether the the top ten might change a little bit as we as we kind of look ahead to um uh, being able to go into gigs again. Um, you know, I think uh I wonder you know, I wonder whether um my emotional connection to a lot of the albums that didn't make my list uh, might strengthen once I see the songs live. Exactly that. There's so many bands that put music out and you know that they're more of a live act than a recorded artist. And it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult to walk that line and you have to kind of imagine how it would be. And I've tried to, I've tried to keep that in mind when compiling this list, but at the same time, it's impossible to know. Yeah. But um, I've got to say, um, so we just reopened at the joiners and we had our first non-acoustic act the other night. And it was, um, have you heard this band? What were they called? Mystic Peach? I, I haven't. So this was a band that I'd heard the name of a couple of times, but I was uh, unsure what to make of it. I, uh, yeah, I, when I first heard the name and then I, I saw them, I thought, this is not something that I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> they were listed as like a grunge thing. It was more that kind of post-punk, but we're like quite riffy. A lot of shouting. I, 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 it was something, uh, I'm not sure at the moment whether it was a, I've not seen anything loud for such a long time or I was just genuinely blown away. <laughs> but yeah, hundred percent check, check them out, dude. I think, I think that they're going to be a one to watch. I, I really enjoyed that. Oh, cool. Top tip. Yeah. I'm very excited to be returning to the, uh, to the joiners, which of course is in Southampton for people, you know, not, not kind of local to us on the South coast. Um, <laughs> but very excited to be returning there. They're very, very soon. So um, before we go into our top 10 albums of the year, it seems customary at this point um, to go through some honourable mentions. Now, we'll keep this very brief because, you know, when we've done this in the past, it becomes a podcast in its own right of albums that didn't make the top 10 or 20. Um, so w- would you would you like to kind of go first with any honourable honorable mentions and I, then go into your number 10? I, of course, can. I worry that some of my mentions may overlap with some of your actual choices, but the ones that this was so difficult just trying to pick that 10 spot so these are the ones essentially that i've left that i was battling to and and i say the 10 spot a lot of this i've i really struggled to order any of mine this year so other other than maybe number one and like you know the the top three i feel pretty good about the others all could have been anywhere they're all just great records um yeah i'll i'll open up with uh with wallflower teach yourself to swim Mm. I I think was fantastic this year. It's finally great to see that get released. Uh, Black Foxes self-titled was another one that really crept up on me. Um, I think that was a that was one that took a couple of listens to have it sink in. But I think even on the first listen, you kind of knew it was going to be something special once you kind of got it. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Envy the Fallen Crimson never gonna if Envy release music, they're not gonna not be on the list. Uh, Max Richter Voices was one that I really really enjoyed. I left it slightly out, similar to the Tom Meesh and Yusef Days, What Kind of Music. I left that one slightly out just on the basis of, I'm not sure how much we'd get out of talking about it, but probably one of my most listened to of the year. Number 10 that I have for you, I picked out uh, the last record from Gleamer, Down Through. Did you get a chance to listen to this one? I did, I did. But uh, I want to hear what you think of this first before before I, I give my uh, throw so my I, two cents. I, I, I will have to say I am a Gleamer fan. So this was, a, at no point did this album surprise me at any point. They've not reinvented the wheel. They've not done anything. You know, there, there's some new influence in there. There's some new techniques. That, but there's nothing 
that you almost wouldn't find on the previous works, which I think is completely fine given how great their previous works are. Um, yeah, I just think it, it just set a mood uh, almost perfect for the year. And I think um, you're going to find this a lot with my things. There's a lot of shoegaze influence in here because I feel like that's made such a resurgence that, and in, in, in a year like this, is it becomes more poignant than, than ever before. That, that style of music really, uh, again, it, it just kind of set a, a kind of blanket mood. Like if it felt perfect for the entire year for me. I, I really enjoyed that record. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I like this record. I like I like Lima. I I admittedly had not been familiar with them until, funnily enough, right at the start of the uh, the pandemic. Um, shout out to former Bitch and Review co-host Brad Thorne, who launched the Isolation Album Club, which ran uh, amongst the small group of us on Twitter for for a good mm. few weeks. That really got us through that first phase of lockdown of of swapping albums with one another. Um, and he actually kicked it off with uh, a Gleamer record, the name of which escapes me. It's the one with the sort of, um, it's got a similar cover to Down Through, but it's got like a silhouette on the cover. Was it, ah, it was the second album, I believe. It, it probably was. I think I can, it was I think I can remember him posting about it. Yeah. And um, and I thought it was, I, I mean, I think I probably preferred this record to the one that he gave me. Like you say, it's not, it's not really reinventing the wheel. So when I listened to it... It was uh, Any More was the, the record that he put in there. Yeah, I think that, that, was, that was probably the one then. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this record. <laughs> that's, um, that's, that's really a strong, strong start, isn't it? As, as a kind of tastemaker. But Top I do 10 agree. albums of the year. I like this one. I like yeah. this. It's quite good. Um, but yeah, for me, it's not really reinventing the wheel. Like, I, I, I'm not sure how often I would revisit this. I might stick a couple of tracks in my kind of indie emo shoegaze playlist alongside you know those <laughs> likes of you know turnover and tiger's jaw and stuff like that if you like those bands then i think you're really going to be into gleamer but i struggled to take anything away from it from it that's worth writing home about to be honest no I, I i can understand that they're not songs that are supposed to catch you out and be like uh in your face or at all this i think a lot of it's just not supposed to be eye-catching you know Mm. the way that turnover kind of took that genre and kind of made it pop i think these have kind of moved further away back into that kind of uh almost like grunge influenced kind of just dirty like but still clean and glistening kind of sound i i'd recommend holy i think i think i would have struggled to get into this if i'd not already been into the band but i would recommend anyone to go back to listen to 2015's moving away Yes. Um, that is a record that really, really floored me at the time. And um, I know what you mean about any more that came out a couple of years after. I struggled to get into that in the same way. But this last one down through really hit me almost in the same way that Moving Away did. So, yeah, I'd, I'd really recommend them. Great band. Um, great songs. Not, um, uh, not, not the best music to put in your Tinder bio, as, uh, as I learned. <laughs> I'm going I'm, to I'm accrediting my, uh, my terrible Tinder experiences to, to Gleamer and not my uh fucking awful personality but um <laughs> again again i feel like that's maybe like uh you know material for a podcast <laughs> in its own right um okay so uh gleamer down through is your number 10 um i'll give you some my honorable mentions really really quick my, my bubbling under list sure. as, as most people refer to it uh, when they do <laughs> these lists um if i had a number 11 um it would probably be biffy clyro a celebration of endings i okay. fucking love biffy they are just one of the best kind of big bands of their of their generation um and that 
a celebration of endings might actually be my favorite Biffy album since only revolution. So in over a decade, I think it's the best album they put out. Um, I'm going to be discussing, you know, we're both actually going to be discussing, don't know why I separated you from that, but <laughs> we're going to be discussing our favourite breakthrough artists of the year later on when we do the, the golden tea bags. Um, but there's <laughs> tons of great debut albums this year that just missed out on the list from the likes of uh, Clip Drip, um, A.A. Williams. That was a fantastic yeah. debut album, uh, but it just missed out. And uh, also have to give credit to... Uh, Tim Birkbeck when he came on the podcast at the start of the year and we did the the 10 artists that are gonna make 2020 and this was kind of before the pandemic turned everything to shit but two bands that he recommended that have put out great uh, great records this year uh, were Big Cheese and Gulch as well Gulch was one that was just just shy of my top 10 Um, this year we saw the uh, grand return of Bombay Bicycle Club um, who are a band who are very dear to my heart and uh you know they returned with another fantastic album it's basically just the sound of people falling in love with music and and playing music with their friends again which seems very prescient you know the the title of the album is everything else has gone wrong and fucking hell ain't that the truth (laughs) um we uh, have uh, we're going to be putting out a, a films of 2020 special uh on bitch and brew for the first time this year um and during that podcast we're going to be talking a lot about Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Um, now, Jung Jae-il's score for that film is just fascinating. I needed to shout that out. It kind of mixes ominous electronics with these surreal kind of neo-baroque classical compositions, I guess. It's it's a fascinating listen. I know some people will probably class that as 2019 because that's when the film was originally released, but... <laughs> Um, and finally, before I go on to my, my number 10, uh, two albums that I feel need to be mentioned probably more for their, their importance in 2020, especially when considering some of this year's events. Um, and those two albums are Run the Jewels 4 and uh, Visions of Bodies Being Burned by Clipping. And yeah. just because they didn't make my top 10, it doesn't mean that I don't think they're brilliant, vital records. Um, that, that will kind of live on over the next few years. Soundtracked a good few months for us. Absolutely. Well, well not not necessarily good, but certainly important. Yes. <laughs> um, so my number ten, uh, the the one that kind of changed position the most, really. My number ten spot was being duped out by several records, but the one that I decided on at, in the end um, comes from Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou. Uh, it's okay. a collaboration yep. album called May Our Chambers Be Full, which is super fucking metal, that album title. <laughs> um, part of a, a series of, of collaborations that have kind of been brought to the world by Sacred Bones Records. Admittedly, this is the first of those collaborations that I've heard. Um, it's probably a long time coming for those that saw Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou performing together at Roadburn Festival yeah. in 2019. I was not there. I've still not been to Roadburn, um, but I'm, I'm dying to go at some point. Um, now, I absolutely adore Emma Ruth Rundle. I think her last record on Dark Horses, retrospectively, is one of my favourite records of 2018, was the year it came out. I go back to that record maybe more often than most of my official top 10 for that year. Um, but I was only really familiar with Thou by, by name. I was kind of very aware of the high regard in which they were held by the heavy music community, but this is actually the first Thou record 
I've listened to. I know they have a huge back catalogue as well and a kind of history of collaborations. And people who know both bands well enough have been arguing that this is kind of like a splicing of the best elements of either artist. Um, when you consider how sonically heavy Emma Ruth Rundle's music can be, it's not in the least bit surprising that this is kind of a winning combination on record. Um, Emma, you know, Emma Ruth Rundle is as superb as I would expect her to be. You know, she's got that sonorous theatrical quality to her voice. It's trying to find an explanation for it is quite weird if you've never heard her. It's like Emmy Lou Harris meets Kate Bush, but something that's way more kind of haunting and beguiling than both of those artists combined. Um, and her voice offers this this kind of brightness that contrasts really brilliantly, not only against um, Brian Funk, uh, the singer of Thou's, quite frankly, terrifying vocals. <laughs> but also I saw the his, con- uh, his vocal described as like a gargoyle uh, yes, through on this it, record. And I was like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's the description that's the, the, most, the most accurate I think I've maybe ever seen. <laughs> but, but it also contrasts against this, this kind of canvas of, of like powerhouse sludgy guitars. Hmm. Um, I, I actually think like uh, this, this would be a brilliant gateway record for anyone wanting to ease themselves into, into maybe more extreme pastures uh you know if you listen to a track like uh monolith the second track on the record it's oh, this yeah. really taut kind of stoner metal track with this with this stormer of a of a lead riff that makes you do like the biggest screw face um and then uh it ends on this kind of near nine minute epic called the valley um and it's just an overwhelmingly powerful end to a to a pretty damn powerful record anyway and if that's not enough, it's just been announced that we're getting an EP of more material from Emma Ruth Rundle right. and Thou, which is coming in January. So very excited honestly, for that. Honestly, cannot wait. This was one of my favourite of, of the year. I, I have this in my list as well, so I won't say too much about this at the moment. But um, <laughs> Fantastic. I obviously a fan of both. I think it's difficult not to be if you know any of their, any of their works. But um, one thing that I would say is I, I almost felt like this was the best of both of them in a way that they both brought out the... I, I find a lot of these collaborations somehow feel... Uh, can, can, can take away more than they add. But this actually raised both artists to me to a, to a much higher level. Mm. The, all of the bits... Uh, it, it, I, it, it's easy to look at one of these records and go, oh yeah, loud, loud, quiet, quiet. I, I see what's going on here, but it's done with such incredible majesty in this. It's one of the best versions of this that I've ever heard. It doesn't reinvent the wheel necessarily, but it's just incredible at how they've actually managed to put it together. Yeah, for I sure. Saw a, I saw someone else review this and it was described as an, an emotional exploration of the abyss. Wow, was, that's fantastic. That is, honestly, that's the nail on the head right there. I could, we need I to get that person on this podcast, not, not us pair of not, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so while this was my introduction to Val, with a very clear message that I should definitely go and listen to all of their records now, um, I was very, very happy to receive this little message from their guitarist, Andy Gibbs, telling us not only about his favourite record of the year, but also what he wants for Christmas. Check it out. Hey, this is Andy from Thou. Um, Let's see, my favorite record this year, uh, one of them was Harmaline by Xenius. And for Christmas, I want to hug and kiss my friends. Okay, thanks. 
All right, so that was um, Andy Gibbs from Thou, very kindly telling us about what his favourite record of the year is. Um, now let's talk about what our ninth favourite record of the year is, respectively, Daniel. So you, you've kind of danced around this a little bit earlier with one that was mentioned to you at the beginning of the year and didn't quite make your list, but I find it almost impossible to leave out Gulch from, uh, from my albums of the year. Um, it's such an interesting record for a number of reasons. It's... Uh, so it's, a, it's probably the shortest record that I have on here, but probably the most explosive and visceral. It really hit me in a way that I haven't heard hardcore be demonstrated since the lights. Uh, it has an almost kind of botch-like quality to it in the way that the riffs kind of just really swim around each other and, and attack you in a way that I, I just haven't heard in such a long time. And it's not to say that, you know, a, a hardcore obviously is now... Uh, a, a multi-headed beast if you will there's there's mm-hmm. no it, it went from being what felt like a, an almost done genre and in the last few years has really had a resurgence of these you know kind of nostalgia things and you know some of it i love some of it i could take or leave this is something that i absolutely loved it's disgusting in all of the right places it's <laughs> it really is a record that kind of kept me coming back and what i love about this as well is that i think these records um are so it's very easy to fall into a lot of those kind of traipses, especially with the production of these hardcore records, where if it's too polished, it seems insincere. If it's too kind of DIY, it's almost unbearable to listen to. And this to me just ticked every box of what I wanted from a record like this. It didn't, it wasn't so much heavy as it was angry. Like I said, it was just a visceral explosion of music that just really it it just hit me and just made me come back so many times but yeah gulch uh the record was called impenetrable cerebral fortress uh one look at the artwork and i'm sure anyone will be gripped and interested enough just to listen to it to know what on earth is going on there (laughs) i i implore anyone to, to do so and i i think anyone will come out of that um just as interested in the band as i was yeah, yeah. I, I, I must admit, when, when Tim brought them as, as one of the artists to look out for in 2020, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, 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 this sounds cool from what uh, limited stuff there was on the internet. I literally think the only thing that was on, on Spotify, at least, was like the second and third track of this album. Uh, the titles of which I, I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, this, uh, this is a, a superb record and it is really short. It's literally like only 18 minutes long and uh, probably has the runner up in terms of the most metal album title of the year. It is disgusting, this album and, and for yeah, all, it, in all the best ways. The, the longest track on here is the closer at three and a half minutes. But other than that, everything pretty much sits just under two minutes. It's 15 minutes, eight songs, and it's just... It's it's just constantly punching you in the face in it's the best fantastic. kind of way. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Great, this record. So Gulch, Impenetrable Cerebral Fortress is your number nine. My number nine um, is is probably my, my standout debut album of the year. Um, so returning listeners will not be surprised to hear that, yeah, one of the most anticipated debut albums for the of the year for me was uh, Foxjaw. Um, their EP, A Playground for Sad Adults, was my favourite EP of, of 2019. It had me very excited for what was to come next. Um, then I saw them opening for Loathe, uh, more on them in a bit, um, at the uh, at the joiners. And um, I knew that there was something really, really special here. Um, so we come to their debut album, Royal Swan. And um, I mean, much like... Emma Ruth Rundle and, and Thou, 
I, I feel like this is kind of a bridging record to some to some heavier territories. Um, un, unlike Emma Ruth Rundle and Dow, there are, there are some moments on Royal Swan where I listen and go, why aren't Foxjaw like the biggest band in Britain right now? They have songs like Triple uh, AAA and teething teething's probably my favorite song on the record to be honest and it's songs like that which are kind of deserving of of daytime radio play i th- i actually think they have had some some daytime play on radio one which is which is awesome it's to insane think. for a band that sound like they do and mm-hmm. again they're one of those bands i was at the same show uh, very similar they were a band that i've wanted to see live for so long i've always heard a, a lot of my kind of peers really hold them to such a high standard and i wasn't let down at all yeah it's the perfect amount of weird but familiar and i know that (laughs) that sounds odd but it's it keeps you guessing but never leaves you unsatisfied yeah it it, you know it's kind of it's angular i suppose you know slightly indie tinged rock with with these massive kind of propulsive choruses um which Mm. foxjaw kind of blend almost seamlessly with some of the most oppressive dread inducing noise there's a, a track called you never drink a unicorn's blood which sounds like alice in chains meets uh, like neurosis or cult of luna in places it's just monstrous um the bridge of uh, half house which was the first single they released from it has this deafening kind of wall of wailing distortion and feedback that chills my bones um, and that's not even kind of considering uh, there's a song called Bats for Bleeding, which brings this almost like vaudevillian uh, glam rock swing to the equation. I Look, if the president of music is listening, <laughs> please make Fox draw a, mass, a massive band because this album is not only musically stunning for me, but they have this really kind of captivating image and aesthetic as well. Um, and they feel almost quite unsettling like a, a dangerous kind of gang of androgynous weirdos and i love i love <laughs> that in a band um yeah for my money this is my standout debut album of the year royal swan by foxjaw no I, I couldn't agree more really 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 enjoyed this record and everything you say is there is pretty much spot on they, they are one of those bands that visually and audibly will keep you guessing and it, i just find them more so than any other band this year maybe fun like yes, there's a it's huge a really element fun of, record it, it is when it touches you don't get that in records that sound like that but there's something really joyous about sometimes this really dark kind of tinged music and i i i found a real enjoyment in this record one that it's definitely one that i've been uh been playing a lot of since yeah for sure and god i want to see them live again because they're, they're a great <laughs> live band and we must get them back on the podcast as well we had um we had Danny and Alex from the band uh, on the podcast backstage at 2000 Trees last year. And Danny, their singer and bassist, uh, insisted on putting my nipple in his mouth for the, um, for the, for the photo at the end of it. Naturally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway, let's hear from um, another artist about their favourite record of 2020. And this time we are heading down under to check in with a fast-rising Melbourne-based outfit called Bad Love. They put out an awesome new single recently called Social Suicide with uh, Crossfaith making a special guest appearance. And it's a hint of very promising things to come in 2021. Um, In the meantime, here is their guitarist Lachlan Monty, known simply as Monty, to tell us about his record of the year and also what he wants for Christmas. What's up? This is Monty from Bad Love. 
My favourite record of 2020 is Bring the Horizons post-human survival horror. Being a massive follower of the band since Count Your Blessings, it's been incredible to watch the band continue to surprise and excite me with each release. The energy and creativity in post-human captivates and has sparked a whole new well of inspiration in me as a musician. Santa, if you're out there, I don't want any presents for Christmas. I want everyone to spend a whole bunch of time with their family and loved ones after a shit year. Okay, so that was Monty from uh, Bad Love. Uh, let's go into our uh, number eight uh, album of the year. So, uh, number eight, you've just touched on what's probably your favourite debut album. I'm going to go very similar here. I think it was last time we did this in 2017, I brought to your attention of this kind of metal supergroup coming up that had just put an EP out called End. They put out their debut record this year called Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face. And if that title doesn't already tell you what this record sounds like, <laughs> it's an <laughs> absolute slab of grind and hardcore. Uh, just Again, similar to what I said about the Gulch record, I think with these records, production often means everything. And this is done absolutely perfectly. It's not. It, it feels like you're literally in the room watching a murder. <laughs> it's it's one wow. of the most horrendously sounding brilliant records I've ever heard. It, something that made me really excited about heavy music again was this band when I first heard the EP, and I've been waiting very patiently. I know a lot of people have for the for the actual full length, and I don't think it's disappointed in any any in any sense at all. It's mm. incredible. It's almost impossible to talk about heavy music this year without including them. So that's going to be my number eight. Yeah, yeah, this this is a, a, a superb record. Um, one that I've not really had the nerve to go back to many, many times because it is it's, full it's on. It's honestly listen. frightening in places. <laughs> <laughs> so who who are some of the members from from End? I know obviously it's Will Putney from uh, Fit for an Autopsy is, is kind of one of the, I, I suppose, one of the central components of the band, not only because he plays, I believe, guitar, uh, but also because he produces the record as well. Uh, Will Putney being a very prolific producer uh, in in heavy music. Um, who who are some who are some of the other members of M? You'll have to remind me. So the I'm I'm very bad with names. I know it's the singer from Counterparts. That's it. Yes, it's uh, uh is it Brendan Murphy? I believe that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that Counterparts were involved in it in some capacity, but yeah, it, it's kind of a. Uh, an amalgam of of some really um, really interesting and prolific musicians from within uh, the the heavy music scene altogether coming coming together to just create sheer brutality. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly everyone's previous history on here, so forgive me for that. But I know it's a mixture of counterparts, fit for an, fit for an autopsy, reign supreme were the ones I can remember. Um, yeah, just an insane an insane lineup. Yeah, I, I, I swear that they have some sort of uh, tie-in with Misery Signals as well. Someone that would have played with them, but yeah, it's they're, they're just a group that, on paper, you get excited about. And then when I remember first listening to that EP, it was probably only a week or so before we did that podcast in 2017, and I have not had a week where I haven't gone back to that since. It's yeah. it blows my mind every time I hear it that something can be that heavy yet so precise. It's uh, it, to, to to describe gr- anything with the grindcore sub subheading as precise is it seems very foreign to me but they've nailed it in such a a really huge way yeah it's kind of pulled off with an almost sort of surgical precision uh, precision this record 
It does, um, but still, it doesn't lose any of that kind of visceral production no. element. It, it's it really is a fantastic record. If you like heavy music, you're, you're going to like it. I know that's such a broad statement, but it's a uh, it's it's, it's really yeah. up there. I, I rate it higher, to be honest, as far as heavy stuff goes. In a year that I've honestly not found much solace in a lot of heavy music, I have to say. Well, let's see what happens as we as we get further down the list. Certainly in that regard, sure. uh, my num- my number eight. It's going to be quite the contrast, really. My number eight is uh, Jump Rope Gazers by The Bess <laughs> uh, from, yes. uh, from New Zealand, from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, so I am, you know, quick, quick bit of context. I'm, I'm recording this from, from my um, little flat in Portsmouth. Um, and uh, just down the road from me is a brilliant bar called The Wave Maiden, which is uh, sadly shut indefinitely during the pandemic. And I'm hoping that it will reopen under new ownership in 2021. But a couple of years back, not long after I moved in, I went down to the Wave Maiden to see friends of the podcast in Fresh, um, as well as a great band called Murder House. Um, Unfortunately, Fresh had to pull out of the show. um, But after uh, watching Murder House's set, I I stuck around to watch the Beths and uh, immediately got the same kind of warm feeling uh, than when I first heard um, Crazy For You by Best Coast, one of my favourite records of all time. Very similar that it's kind of sun-kissed, dreamy, poppy rock. But instead of that Phil Spector-esque wall of sound that Best Coast had to the mix, the, the Beths added um, like quirky, almost 60s surfer rock elements, which I really loved. Um, we talked about their debut album, Future Me Hates Me, on the first ever episode of the Bitchin' Review. And it's not a record I went back to very often afterwards, but I was still excited for new material from this band um while they have kind of done away with some of those quirks that make them really quite unique um they have still made a sort of sensationally catchy follow-up album that's better than the first one purely on account of its hit rate i love every single song on this record uh you know there's the there's more upbeat numbers like uh dying to believe and and there's a song called don't go away which almost sounds like ash uh, in it, in its guitar tone, which I, you know, is, is always gonna is always gonna that. sit right with me. Um, but ju- just as brilliant are the um, are the kind of slower songs on the record. So you're a beam of light. Uh, do you want me now? I mean, I'm basically just listening the whole track listing here in in, kind of, <laughs> uh, in non chronological order. But the the title track as well belongs. It, it, it almost in, it's like stadium level big that song. Um, I mean, I'm absolutely kind of stunned to see how how big they've become in the space of just two years since seeing them in that tiny little upstairs um, room of the Wave Maiden playing to about 20 people because they they won big this year at the the Aotearoa Music Awards, which is kind of New Zealand's equivalent of the Grammys. I believe like they went out on tour with Death Cab for Cutie um, uh, last, uh, last year or the year before. Um, they've suddenly become like this massive band and they're fully deserving of it, but it's just mad to see how quickly it's happened. It's it's such a scary ascent, but one that is completely deserved. I've really enjoyed this record. Um, it's one that um, I admittedly would have probably missed if we hadn't spoken about doing this. And it's one that um, was brought to my attention because of it. And I, I went back to it after only kind of like a, a short listen the first time round. And I found that even after only kind of a, a background listen the first time round, I could still remember a lot of these songs. They're just immediately just in your face, like big hooks. I, I, I loved it. These choruses are just insane. 
I, I don't know if I can say anything profound about this record. I always seem to have one of these kind of quote unquote summertime records in my top 10 list. And, the, and this the one for me this year. Um, you know, the, the, the first two records on my top 10 have been quite challenging. Emma Ruth Rundle and Dow and the, uh, and the Fox Jaw one. Whereas this is just like a really easy uplifting listen. It's not complex. Sure. It's not even original. It's just great fun. So um, one band that I'm, I'm very excited to hear more from as they, as they start to make their name in the British metal scene going into 2021 is a band called Club Dread. They just recently signed a deal with Silent Cult, uh, friends of the podcast and a, a great label to boot. Um, and they put out a stonking debut single called Floor Gazer, which is out now on all good and bitchin' streaming platforms. Um, but before you do that, before you go check out the single and obviously listen to the rest of this podcast... Here's a little message from their vocalist, Jim Dummer. Hey, what's going on? My name's Jim. I am the singer slash puppet master slash handsomest member of the five-headed baby that is Club Dread. And you're listening to Bitchin' Brew. And if you didn't know that by now, then you're fucking stupid. So my favorite record of the year has got to be Palpamest by protest the hero reason why you want to know why it's because of that vocalist he's banging just love it love the tone love the range love the melodies harmonies crazy musician musician wise it is yeah, it's all right isn't it um what do i want for christmas i'll tell you what i want for christmas i want my goddamn freedom back because i'm self-isolating right now i'm bored as hell i can't even go for a walk and that sucks so freedom and uh, and a golden retriever and uh and i'll be happy all right thank you to jim from uh club dread dan you're loving this by the way because you're not hearing any of these sound bites it's, it's little, fantastic little for behind me. the I curtain just, i just sit here in silence and watch your face and then the moment you come back in is is such joyous uh, watching to me i wish everyone could see it <laughs> so so pure so pure wholesome um, content this is <laughs> <laughs> number number seven sure so um, a little bit different for what I've gone for the other ones here. This is one of my, uh, a band that I've been following for a while, put out a new record that I, admittedly, I didn't see any uh, promo for this at all, really, until maybe a week beforehand. I felt very out of the loop. But um, a band called PG Lost, uh, a post-rock band uh, made from uh, members of other bands. Have, I say post-rock. It's such a, a weird umbrella category that I don't often agree with. But this is just a fantastic record. It's a record called Oscillate. It features members, uh, ex-member of Ghost, uh, members of the Great Discord. And I believe the, uh, the keys player from Cult of Luna. Oh, wow. But honestly, it's, this band have just impressed me with every single release since I first heard. I think maybe Keys was maybe the first record I got into them by. But um, yeah, it's it's more electronic than things they've worked on before. Uh, it, it's still just a great weird slab of progressive, almost post-metal that doesn't necessarily go down the same rabbit holes of of of, of other kind of members of that genre. If that makes sense, mm. I find post-metal and post-rock kind of falls into those traps very very easily, and that's something that I really enjoyed about this. It's not necessarily something that's going to keep you guessing. It is something that's going to kind of engage you which is very nice i find a lot of these records are kind of background this is something that i felt the need to really put in the forefront of what i was doing and yeah i'd, I'd recommend anyone to listen to it if it's one of those just great records for especially at the moment you know we've got kind of a nice gray overcast it's, it's cold out this is a great record to just throw on and just kind of lose yourself in wow i didn't know that um it had affiliations with cult of luna um uh, this this record kind of came out 
quite near to the end of this year so it's something i might have to revisit we're going to be doing a podcast about sort of catching up on the late bloomers of this year because there are some sensational records which have come out towards the end of this year that um unfortunately i just didn't really have a have space for in my top 10 um so you know that that might be one of the records i will add to the list on your recommendation alone no for sure it was one of those bands i think i got into them I'm looking back through their, um, their history now, but I remember I first heard their track Crystalline that starts with this just weirdly gripping drum groove. It came out in like 2010 on a, on a record called In Never Out. Okay. And I've been into them since then. It's just something that I've, I've, I love this kind of genre of music and I've loved seeing them progress. And it was only when I was looking up, um, it was like I said, I think this came out in November of this year. So only about, a, it's only a few weeks ago now was mm. when I actually realized the affiliations they had with other bands. And it, the moment I realized it's the keys player from Cult of Luna, a lot of it just kind of made sense immediately. <laughs> but at the same time, it's one of those just like, oh, wow, this is something like, uh, yeah, it's just a really nice kind of, uh, kind of twist to the end of that story of listening to that band. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend anyone to get into that. It's, it's, a, it's just a great time, really. It's, um, it's difficult to plug it more than I already have, you know, Danny. It's, uh... yeah. Well, I'll take that cue as, a, as a, a time to segue into my number seven, which, um, you know, uh, is uh, I, I've always kind of had a, a modicum of respect for this artist. My number seven is uh, Song for Our Daughter by Laura Marling. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, was, I was quite invested in Laura Marling's output around the turn of the last decade. It was kind of part of that indie folk boom that you know did bring us artists like Mumford and Sons, um, but also but also kind of brought us some really really good artists. It's it's got a lot um, to answer for, but it's also done a lot of good. <laughs> yeah, I mean one of my one of my one of my favourite bands, one of the most underrated bands of all time, in my opinion, a band called Stornoway came came from that kind yeah. of uh, indie folk boom, and and Laura Marling was part of that same sort of scene. But I, I, admittedly, I kind of lost touch with what she'd been up to over the last few years. And I don't know what drew me to, to checking this out. I think it might have been after a, uh, they sung their praises of the record over on the Ryak podcast. Uh, shout out to those guys. But I was, I was also very um, intrigued by hearing that the concept behind the album is essentially Laura Marling writing to a, a fictional daughter, uh, hence, hence the title. And I just thought that was like a really quite simple but affecting concept. And... From first listen, I found myself completely entranced by this record and, and rarely able to put it down for more than a week at a time. Uh, it's, you know, it's very slight, uh, acoustic, folk rock with some, with some very subtle instrumentation um, outside of what Marling's doing on vocals and guitar. Um, and there's a, there's a few songs on there that have some, some cool things going on with the percussion. I like especially the song Strange Girl has this kind of world music vibe that feels very kind of whimsical and kind of puts a spring in your step. Um, and then on the flip side of the record, like the entire second half of this record um, is, is damn near perfect for me. Um, the title track reminds me of something that maybe the Black Crows might have done when they were doing more stripped back stuff. Uh, it's got that Americana vibe. Um, it's a real standout moment for me production wise this is produced by Ethan Johns who is I understand the kind of go-to guy when it comes to modern folk and country and Americana music Um, and then you've got songs like Fortune and Hope We Meet Again as well is it kind of reminds me of um, uh, Joni Mitchell uh, that kind of thing going on Uh, the, the most moving parts for me vocally are when uh, Marling isn't kind of singing so much as she is kind of giving these fleeting semi-spoken word utterings into the microphone. It carries so much emotion that just kind of warms my heart 
um but by and large let's face it it's been a dog shit year and and just really really hard at times for everyone but this this record song for our daughter has has kind of been my comfort blanket record of the year we were talking earlier about that nostalgia element as far as 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 new records go this has been my comfort blanket no it's 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 a really fantastic record it was um turned on to me um one of my close friends joe played pedal steel in a few bands that i was into obviously from that pedal steel background has a much more he's far more kind of entwined in this genre of music than i ever have been able to get so he always sends me the kind of standout records that he's kind of into at the time and this was one that i know he was excited about so i did give it a listen on release and was just blown away mm. uh, the more the more stripped back it got the more uh, engaging i found it Absolutely. Like you said, like those kind of fragile moments where it's, it's like you say, it's not necessarily singing. It is just kind of um, if it feels, it feels like you're very close to the artist, and it's a very difficult thing to pull off. I I really enjoyed this record a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a great little intimate listen. So, song song for our daughter by Laura Marling is my number seven. Um, now we're we're already we're firing through these, but let's let's hear from another artist about their their favorite record of the year. And it's time to head back down under as we check in with another fast rising Melbourne band called Dreg, spelt D R E double G. Uh, they put out an awesome double A side earlier this year called Two Track. Um, if you like that colourful side of hardcore uh, where you'll find the likes of Hellions and uh, Ocean Grove part of a big Australian scene really when it comes to hardcore I think Dreg might be one of your new favourite bands um, anyway here's a little message from their their rhythm section this is bassist Aidan Zovich aka Zov um, and their drummer Jorge De La Lopez Yo, what's up? It's Zov from Dreg. Hey, it's Jorge from Dreg. Uh, my favorite release from this year was the 2020 Flex by Speed. It was hard and quick and it fucking ruled. My favorite release this year was Glass 2.0 by Mayhem Loren, mainly because it's fucking gangster. What I want for Christmas is, you know, uh, safety for the pangolins. Uh, for Christmas also, I'd probably want some sort of tank. Maybe my own energy drink and most definitely a double quarter pounder. Hopefully I'm not asking too much. All right. So that was uh, Zov and Jorge from the band Dreg. Uh, keep an eye out for them in 2021. I think they're going to be doing big things indeed. Um, wow. We're, we're nearly at the top five already. But first, your, your number six album, Daniel. My number six is, um, and this is, again, we start to get to that territory where everything really could have been in the top three for me i found so i found this very difficult to pick out some so i apologize to anyone that holds this higher i probably do <laughs> it's um one of my most listened to records of the year it would have been spanish love songs spray faces everyone mm. and it's such um anyone that hasn't heard this if you like the gaslight anthem and emo music you're going to love it, <laughs> it, it honestly uh i can't praised this record high enough for both its lyrical content and how how dry it seems at time it doesn't pull any punches it's so on the nose it's and i don't say this lightly based on how much i rate the, the record i'll say but it, i honestly think this is the best emo record since the hotel is home like i honestly that record wow. and i haven't heard anything that was this gripping since since then and uh, honestly what it's just a joy to listen to something so miserable <laughs> but yeah I, I think anyone that's heard it will know what i mean it's similar to what you're saying about the nostalgia that we found this year and the kind of again not to keep relying on that comfort blanket but this felt so familiar but at the same time 
it did, like I said, it didn't reinvent anything, but just it, it's just it's just nice to have. I I really really love this. Um, one of my favorite things going on here as well, and the, the performances of all of it is that there's no perfect takes. There's no you can tell it's not something they've necessarily slaved away at other than the actual songwriting itself. When it comes to recording, it almost sounds in part like the vocal takes could have just been not so much live tracked, but there's no the, the beauty of this record is very much in the imperfections of it. And I yeah. think that's something that is very much overlooked with a lot of records. I I, I would really challenge anyone to find anything negative here. It, it's just a real joy to listen to. Yeah, I, I really, really like this record. We actually had uh, Dylan uh, from the band on the podcast. It was like our, our first oh, no uh, podcast of the year. Yeah, when they were in town opening for the for the Menzingers, the engineers. Yes. Uh, superb show. They 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 put on a really great show, and it is a really good album. It kind of came out at the start of the year, and it, it kind of slipped my mind a little bit. Admittedly, it's not one that I've gone back to very often, but uh, there are some superb moments on it. I mean, Kick. Uh, I think it's. I can't remember whether it's Losers or Losers Two. Uh, is is the nah, for, for the moment, I they're heard, both good. <laughs> when it opens with routine pain and the lyrics leading into it is just such a. This could have been released midway through the pandemic. It, obviously, they have no idea what's kind of coming for this year, but it mm. really did just soundtrack the year perfectly for I think a lot of people. It's just been one of those kind of go tos since it came out every single week of this year. I I like uh, I think the things I like most about the record are the moments where they they head a little bit out of that. Um, you know, because if if you if you listen to that last Spanish love songs record, it, it's extremely evocative of you know bands you said like the Gaslight Anthem, but also like the Menzingers and uh, the big Wonder Years vibes uh, with this record. Um, the my favourite moment of the record is actually the track Beachfront Property, where they seem to head away from oh. that a little bit and go for something a little bit more kind of a I don't know more indie driven, something a little bit more. Uh, left of center which uh, i i i really dig so yeah I, I need to go back to this record admittedly yeah it was one that i i, I really do think that everyone will get something from like i said if you're a fan of kind of menzingers gaslight anthem wonder years you've really hit the nail on the head there and yeah. that tour couldn't have been a more perfect lineup uh for them but yeah it's just like beats from property it's the, the lyrical content of this record is just it's it hits so many heavy places but at no point makes you feel kind of left out from it. it there's like a weird lyrical device that he's got to play here that makes you feel fully immersed in this storytelling and i think that that's missing from a lot of records a lot of the time but yeah i i, I really rate it i it's, won't i won't bore you to death with how i, I think <laughs> my music's the best we all know it <laughs> it's, it's almost painfully on the nose at places you yeah, don't want to it's... you don't want to admit it but he he's he's he really knows uh dylan knows what he's talking about when he's when he's um, oh, there's there's a moment i think it's on that on uh beach from property he was talking about being a uh, 30 somethings in a bar wanting to hear some nostalgia songs it's just like oh, it's like <laughs> yeah okay yeah we we get it <laughs> i find it was one of those records i, I heard it and i just felt like is this guy just writing me a record? You know what I mean? It's just every, <laughs> oh, yeah. everything that's hit home so much. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, I, I uh, related less to that because I'm, I'm not old. So, you know. Eat shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, this is this is um, this is where people get to take the piss out of me a little bit because um, I think uh, one of my one of my lowlights from from 2020 was the the kind of humiliation I faced when I admitted that I'd never really 
given a proper focus beginning to end listen of uh, White Pony by Deftones. Um, so my number six uh, is not White Pony by Deftones, even though it's just been re-released <laughs> with the with the Black Stallion remix album. Reissues are not included on this list. Uh, it is uh, Deftones' latest album, Ohms. Um, like I say, it's, it's been made very evident on social media this year that going into 2020, I had a really, really strange relationship with Deftones. I think like a lot of people my age, I grew up with the the back to school video on like near constant rotation on Kerrang TV. Um, and I got a Koino Yokan on uh, CD for, for Christmas one year. And I really love that record. And I, I said to yep. myself, I need to listen to the rest of, of Deftones discography and really kind of uh, get stuck into it. And of course, life never goes that way. Uh, there's always something <laughs> new happening. And um, and before I knew it, we had another album with with Gore in, in 2016, which is also fantastic. And I did the exact same thing going, this is great. I really need to... Um, I really need to go and listen to the rest of the like, rest of Deftones albums because I feel like I'd really love them. And then that didn't happen uh, again. <laughs> so um, this this year, um, I, I actually took the time to get myself properly acquainted with Deftones properly in the lead up to Ohms being released. I gave the my first focus listens of of White Pony and Around the Fur and and Diamond Eyes. Oh man, yeah. Um, what, what a time to be alive! I. I... I think I said I messaged you this at the time when you said about it because there's a lot of people that will kind of give people shit for never having heard that but I swear that's from jealousy because I would give anything to be able to listen to Diamond Eyes for the first time again. Yes. Because oh, that is so such good. A, such an experience of a listen. Yeah. Now now I know what a truly brilliant band Deftones are. I'm I'm basically all in on whatever they have for me. Um and it's <laughs> it's hard to know where Ohms kind of fits in if we were to rank Deftones records, especially within the last decade, because they were doing so many different things on Koino Yokan and Gore, especially. Those are like two really weird introductory records for Deftones, just because there's there's so much experimental stuff on it. Um but I think if someone said to me, What what are Deftones like? I'd be tempted to give them a copy of Ohms as a starting point uh, alongside like White Pony or, or Diamond Eyes because, you know, it, it, it's while, while it isn't them pulling the same old tricks, I think, you know, one significant progression that's been built up over the last few records kind of come to fruition on Ohms is Frank Delgado's uh, synth work. It, it kind of evokes mm. that uh vangelis blade runner score influence i guess uh, that a lot of bands have these days um beyond that this album is, is kind of less about surprises um bar, bar the use of uh, seagulls in the song pompeii that that is quite strange um, but it is more about deftones doing what they do best and doing it to a quality that makes it a standout in their already brilliant back catalogue it's so bizarre that a band still going for this long have no no one else comes close mm-hmm. they're such a standalone band in a genre that only exists for them <laughs> <laughs> and it's it blows my mind and it, one of my favorite things about this band and i wasn't let down by it with this record is abe cunningham on drums is my one of my favorite drummers of all time the amount he underplays while still when you dissect it will blow your mind at an unbelievable rate he holds a groove like no one else. He has such a recognizable drum sound. 
and it's carried the whole way through this record. I loved it so much. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, Terry Date's production job is outstanding on this record. It's probably one of the best production jobs of the year. And um, I, th- I think that in part contributes to this being like a brilliant amalgam of all the things that make Deftones such a great band. Like you say, Abe Cunningham's on top form. Uh, I mean, the whole rhythm section, you know, Abe, Abe on drums and, and Sergio Vega on, on bass guitar. Um, the the song Radiant City I think is probably the best example of that. Um, there's that there's that constant kind of push and pull of of Steph Carpenter's kind of crushing guitars and then Chino's more like melodic tendencies. Um, I think Genesis earns its place in basically any greatest hits compilation that that's going to yep. follow this. Um, the spell of mathematics has this almost funky strut to it. It's quite sort of subdued and and um, and understated. Uh, this link is dead. Goes fucking hard by comparison. Um, and I, I just I, I love it when I find it almost frustratingly uh, difficult to pinpoint where a band is going to go next because Death Deftones really could take it anywhere after Ohms. And like you say, for a band to be going that long. And to still be doing that is really, really impressive. And if there's anything to take away from 2020, it's that we have bands like Deftones still pumping out great records like this. It makes you wonder how they manage it, right? How, how do I, they it, do it? How do they do well, it? I, this is one of the things that makes me question a lot of things. Because did you see uh, a month or so ago, uh, the guitarist Stephen Carpenter came out as a flat earther? <laughs> yes, I did. And I, 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 I had one of those moments where I stopped to think, well, he clearly knows something that we don't when it comes to everything else. <laughs> the stuff that he's been writing is so out there. Maybe, maybe he's got a point. You know so, what yeah, that's kn- what I'm taking away from that is that Deftones are great and the Earth's flat. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what he was. He was trying. He he knows that we don't. <laughs> is that is that there's a hole in the flat Earth? Oh, stop it! Right, <laughs> who's, who's your next guest? Let's get it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, before we head into our top five, um, one new British band that I've got a very BDI on as we go into 2021 are a band called Drones. They are set to become one of the most buzzed about uh, names in post-hardcore. They've got a new album coming out in February. It's called Our Hell Is Right Here. You can listen to the title track featuring previous guest of the podcast, uh, Ren Aldridge from Petrol Girls, uh, right now. But here is their vocalist, Lois McDougall, telling us about her favourite record of the year and also what she wants for Christmas. Hey, this is Lois from the punk band Drones. My favourite record of 2020 is Punisher by Phoebe Bridges. The album kicks off with an instrumental track called DVD Menu and it also features Phoebe shrieking for an extensive period of time. So, I mean, what else can you really ask for from a record? And all I want for Christmas is for live music to come back. So let's make that happen. All right. So that was Lois uh, from Drones. Like I said, their new album, uh, Our Hell Is Right Here, is the title of it. And it's coming out in February. Uh, now, big guns time. I mean, I've just talked about Deftones. Yeah. So I think we'd already, we were already in Death that, in that territory. Deftones outside the top five is, uh, is blasphemous. So, uh, it was, it was I'm, so I'm tough. It was so tough. From there. Well, no, I'll let you go first with your, with your number five. Okay, so I picked a band here that I think, honestly, are maybe the most underrated band in the world. They constantly put out content that I just honestly blows me away. Um, it's a band called Oh Brother, and they put out their album this year called You and I. And uh, if you've listened to anything that they've done before, 
you'll kind of have an expectation of where it's going to go with that kind of ambient kind of uh, drone. There's like a weird kind of southern edge to it, but just straight in with these huge post metal and post rock influences. The again, I hate the kind of quiet, quiet, loud, loud kind of comparisons that you'll get from things, but this is a band that do it on such another level to anyone else. Um, I would implore anyone if you ever get the opportunity to see this band live to 100% do it. They're, I've seen them a handful of times and every single time they've just, no matter what bill they're on, have completely blown me away. They're all just one of the best bands I've ever seen in my life. Um, so when I heard that they were going to uh, do a new record this year, produced by Manchester Orchestra's Andy Hull, <laughs> I, you, you can imagine the reaction that you've got over here. It's honestly like a, a dream record. And when it comes in with these huge, like, they they're sticking to what they know but the new influences you find in this it sounds like they've gone somewhere between this really dark place that sits in the shadows between massive attack and mogwai and i honestly couldn't be more here for it and then to go from there from the intro track into a second track which is back towards kind of more classic oh brother sounding stuff to then get hit straight away with a guest spot from simon from biffy i was honestly losing my mind and i think that this is something that if, if it's maybe something that you've missed, this is one that you should 100% be checking out because this could have very easily been my number one spot. I've loved this band and I've loved this record. Wow. this You, you say they're underrated. I've, I've never heard of Oh Brother. It's, it's a weird one. I've never known them to do any sort of headline runs over here. I found out of them through um, Manchester Orchestra doing their yearly show that they do called The Stuffing. Uh, and I remember seeing them on the bills there. And then I caught them playing with Le Dispute a couple of times oh, okay. over here. But they're just one of those bands that just... Uh, the, so I would say anyone for an introduction to this band, they've done now three audio tree sessions. And I'd say start there. <laughs> Like okay. there are bands that you will watch. You obviously the, the records are enjoyable, but these songs are made to be played li uh, live, and they are just incredible when you when you watch them put them all together and like the techniques that they bring to a to a live performance are like no other band. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is this is definitely on my uh, this is definitely on my list of things to catch up on over over the festive season. Uh, so remind me of the title of that record. It was called You and I. And it's by Oh Brother. Yes. Sorry, I, I caught you off guard there as you were, <laughs> as you were taking a, a sip of delicious water. Um, it, 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 delicious is probably a, a, a little on the, uh, on the plus side of what I would describe it. It was a, adequate water. A, a bligat <laughs> obligatory water. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a beige drink for beige people. <laughs> Oh well, if if there's uh, if there's one way uh, we can describe this podcast, it's definitely not beige uh, so far. Anyway, I'm trying my best to bring a, a big element of beige here. <laughs> You're not succeeding. Um, oh. <laughs> I'll try uh, you, harder. You know what? I was wondering how quickly it'd be to mention anything involving Andy Hull and Manchester Orchestra this year, and and my number five seems like uh quite the segue really because um you know well i guess we'll get onto that in a little bit but for nine, my number five from peaks of blue come touche amore with oh, uh, their yeah. new album lament this this one kind of comes as a surprise for me not because i thought that that touche weren't gonna kind of deliver a great record but this one just kind of got it got its hooks into me i was only really made aware of their brilliance 
following the release of Stage 4 in 2016. Okay. Yeah, not really familiar with them beyond name before that. It's obviously a very difficult but uh, important record written primarily around the passing of uh, vocalist Jeremy Bohm's mother from breast cancer. Um, and I think when you make a record like that with such a kind of a vital theme and so much investment personally, um, I think it makes it particularly difficult to to follow. You know, it's, it's because it's almost it feels like it's almost going to permeate through anything that you released afterwards and used as a point of comparison uh, and almost kind of become an, al- an albatross in that regard as well as a, as a masterpiece. Um, but Touche Amore, I think, have, have taken on that challenge with real gusto on Lament. Um, I love the way it opens with with Come Heroin, uh, you know, with just uh, Jeremy almost sounding like he's he stood about 20 foot away from his mic. I, I was, uh, you know, lucky enough to see Touche a couple of times around the, the sort of stage four touring cycle. Uh, one of the times was at Download Festival in 2017, which I have a yeah. feeling you might have been there as well. I was, yeah. I was um, very fortunate to be working on that stage. So I got to to just sit there and just stare at the drummer and actually try and understand how on earth he plays any of those parts. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I think I think the highlight of that set, something that just sticks in my mind is the fact that that is a huge stage and a you know a, a kind of uh, space that fits a few thousand people in. And yeah, and I was kind of stood quite far towards the back. And there was a moment where he just let out this kind of throat ripping scream off mic and you could hear him from the back of the tent and I was like yeah whenever like it, it's it's not necessarily a new trick but it still kind of sh- sends shivers down my spine when it's, when done, it's well. done well and yeah. there's no one does it better than uh, than Jeremy Bohm um, yeah. um, I, I could say similar to what you've said about it being so almost impossible to follow stage four uh, to almost any of their albums like every time they've released something I just go <laughs> how are you going to top this um, and it's just it's they're a band that, again, they're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but they have added all these new elements. And like you say, the the track that got me very excited about them doing a new record was uh, the track Limelight featuring Andy Hull from Manchester Orchestra, which really, <laughs> on when I hear when I hear that Touche and Manchester Orchestra are going to do a collaboration, that's something that I'm going to obviously listen to in spades. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, just incredible. Um, standout tracks for me is probably up there with Deflector, Limelight, and like I say, um, just that opening track is, is a real moment when you kind of uh, you, you hear exactly what you're about to be in for, and it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't let up at any point. Because mm. this record, it deals very much with the the aftermath of, of Jeremy's mother's passing and, and the events which have followed. And there's a lot about how the band have had to deal with the the kind of uh, sudden outreach from their fans who have also experienced loss and and the pressure that kind of puts on them to kind of be almost like spokespeople for the for the for the grieving process. And that can't be easy to juggle that alongside your your own feelings of grief. Um, but I think the the dark subject matter aside, I actually think this record is is very uplifting. Um, there's a song around the middle of the record called Reminders, uh, and the gang vocals on that chorus remind me of something that like Bad Religion or Pennywise would do. Uh, this brilliant encapsulation of the the community that Touche very much sit within. Uh, also a brilliant music video because it's basically just all of their friends who are in bands and, and artists and what have you just showing off their their pets. I don't know if yeah, you've seen that video. That. It's, it's so yeah. good. Um, <laughs> other, other highlights for me on this record, I'll be your host. Um, oh my God, Savoring, which has those um, amazing kind of bursts of, um, of blast beats that Touche do just <laughs> so, so well. Um, 
A lot that of drummer people... is a machine, dude. I don't. I honestly listen to it, and I just don't understand how how he's getting those in there. But yeah. it's. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people only really talk about Jeremy's vocals when they talk about Touche, which is obviously a hugely important component to their 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 sound and their identity. But the whole band on this are outstanding. You know, they're continuing yeah. to bring these these rousing hooks and melodies to the table, but also introducing things like pedal steel guitar. Um, there's that song, A Broadcast, which, you know, I, in my notes, I've just put hardcore Americana. Um, <laughs> um, and again, Limelight as well with that brilliant vocal appearance from Andy Hull. Um, I think Touche have met the challenge of following up a modern classic head on and, and have done an exceptional job with Lament. Uh, also, one of my favourite album artworks of the year, uh, their guitarist Nick Steinhardt is also a, a brilliant graphic designer and it's just a, quite a simple but very uh, effective uh, use of typography on that album artwork. But maybe that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's not much I, I can say bad about this record, almost nothing at all, to be honest. It's something, like you say, coming up to the challenge of following stage four or following any of their records is, is such an overwhelming task. <laughs> that yeah. I'm not sure how they do it every time and they've never let me down. Yeah, uh, it's, um, it's a band that I'm always excited about hearing more from. It's a superb record. Lament by Touche More is my number five. Now, a couple of years back, I was introduced to a great uh, new band on the sort of UK heavy music scene called Pleiades. They were opening for uh, Pagan at the Joiners in Southampton. Uh, you might be familiar with that place. Um, <laughs> and I came away from it really, really eager to hear more from them. They put out an awesome track last month called Pale Soul 94, which is a, a very promising sign of things to come. And instead of one of their members telling us about their favourite record of the year, we actually have all five members telling us about their favourite records of the year. So without further ado, here is the whole of Pleiades. This is Andy C from Pleiades. Hey, this is the other Andy from Pleiades. This is Josh from Pleiades. This is OJ from Pleiades. This is Ryan from Pleiades. And you're listening to Bitchin' Brew. My album of the year only came out last week, but it really has to be Killer Be Killed's Reluctant Hero. I was reading interviews with a few of them about the process and how making music in Killer Be Killed differs from the main bands. You've got this environment that was free of ego or any expectation, and you can hear that chemistry between them all. They have this amazing interplay in the backing harmonies and the backing screams. They're providing for each other. And for me, it was it was a real highlight throughout. And it sounded like a band just really enjoying the process of making music without any expectations, where if you look at their history in the bands they've been in, like there must be a real sense of relief in making music purely for the sake of making it. And I feel like it's an album we're fortunate to get when you look at their history in the bands they've been in. It's not a combination anyone really saw coming. So for me, it's a near-perfect metal album and a great way to end, end of the year. Uh, my favourite album of the year is Spanish Love Songs because it's 2020 and what better way to pass it than drinking beer to sad punk songs. Uh, my favourite album of the year has to be uh, Paradise by Cold Years. Um, it was released in September uh, at a time in my life where um, I was really struggling uh, with my mental health. Um, I'd been furloughed for six months at that point and uh, I had no idea what the future really held for me. Um, I felt completely trapped, like uh, kind of stuck in a situation I had no control over. Um, I really resonated with the songs on this album which deal with a whole range of topics that uh, Love, loss, isolation, escapism, boredom. I really admire the songwriting on this album. Uh, it's fantastic. Every track on this album could be a single. 
It has, has, a, has a real Gaslight Anthem vibe to it. Need to check it out now. As hard as it is to pick an album of the year, the one I find I return to most consistently is Atonement by Exhalance. In what hasn't exactly been a vintage year for humanity as a whole, this noise rock trio released an absolute beast of an album, which, musically speaking, went some way to saving it for me. They combine all the traditional hallmarks of noise rock, but create something so much more by melding different styles, and they bring a ferocity and a completely dark mood to ally with the insane musicality. My album of 2020 is Ohms by Deftones. I thought it was a great response to the backlash that Gore got, which was an album that I actually really loved and I got some stick. I actually saved the first listen of Ohms um, for a big run that I was going out on. I really got into running over lockdown. I feel like I've been using music to kind of fuel how long I'm actually running for. So I stuck on Ohms and uh, couldn't stop stuck the album on repeat and ended up doing my first half marathon. I felt a genuine connection to it because I loved the, the way the album sculpted and the way it kind of drifts through different sections as a body of work. And I really liked the way that it delves into found sound and the use of ambient sense. I thought that was something that really resonated with me. For Christmas this year, a lot of us will be fortunate if we can see our families without any major obstructions. So I don't think I can get really too excited about anything material. I've I've got my health and my loved ones where so many people aren't so fortunate, so I, I can't ask for any more. I would like a dog for Christmas because we all know the good saying, a dog is for Christmas. And for Christmas, uh, honestly, I just want to be surrounded by friends and family. Uh, 2020 really has put things into perspective for me and it's made me realise... Um, me realise what's truly important in life. That were a PS5. PS5 would be sick. For Christmas, what I'd really like is a Fender Troublemaker Tele Deluxe. But somehow I don't reckon anyone's going to spend a couple of grand on me this year. Here's hoping. All right, thank you to uh, to Pleiades uh, for all of their contributions about what their favourite record of the year is. Some good tastes there. Um, number four, Todd, the, the pewter medal, if you will. Oh, this is an impossible toss-up now between my my top four. I'm going to go in here and I'd really like to talk about one of, I would say, the most anticipated records I've had as a follow-up. I know that she's done a lot of records between as collaborations, but Phoebe Bridges' Punisher was everything you'd want from a follow-up and more. I really... I was really worried about how this record was going to go, if it was going to be more of the same, if it was going to go really out there. And it's just, I, I don't know how she's managed to make uh, so many songs sound familiar, yet completely uh, haunting and foreign at the same time. It's, it's just a record that kept me coming back so many times, um, completely deserving of all of the great reviews. Probably the best lyrics of the entire year all found on this record. Uh, the instrumentation and structure, is obviously... It keeps you kind of guessing in a way that's nice, but it still keeps that core sound from the first record and the the kind of uh, collaborations she's done prior as well. It, you kind of know what you're in for, but at the same time, you'd never be ready for it. I don't know if that kind of makes sense to a lot of people, but it's, um, yeah, on, on like some of those like closing tracks, the kind of ways that she goes out on the instrumentation and like those huge builds, something that we hadn't heard her do yet. But it starts to get to that point where you think, is there anything really that she can't do? At this at this point, I'm I'm in enough that she she could announce anything, and I'm putting my money here. That I 
couldn't rate this artist enough and yeah completely deserving of all of the great things that's happening this year for her but yeah phoebe bridges punisher would be my number four yeah she could do a polka record and i'll probably still be in on it to on, be fair. on honestly it, it it's got to that point i it, it, it she could start releasing scar records and i'd start denouncing my uh, <laughs> my my long my long hatred of scar <laughs> 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 collaboration record with the mighty mighty boss tones coming soon mate uh, take my money <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is an interesting one for me i i really really like this record um i don't think i've actually gone back to it nearly enough times to be honest i i think it's probably one of the most talked about records of the year it's grammy nominated i believe and and four grammy nominations fantastic it's unbelievable it's so great to see i mean out of all the that that kind of wave of of singer songwriter types um that have really kind of come out in the last few years she is undoubtedly like the the best or certainly my favorite of them but also like objectively the best and we all know that what i think is fact so um (laughs) but stranger in the alps was a record that you actually introduced me to by it being on your your top 10 in 2017 um and I mean, Am I just doing the same list of just sophomore records? <laughs> Please stop me. But it's. Uh, I mean, it. it kind I stick of, to what I know here, Danny. <laughs> not, not to give it away too early, but it kind of loops into what my number four is. But, but before we go on to that, yeah, I, I'm a little bit. I'm wondering what you're going to think of this because I think it opens really, really strong. I think like literally the first uh, first five tracks, I think, are just stunning and and kind of worthy follow-up to um to uh, stranger in the alps kyoto i think is a massive tune i love it absolutely soaring i i I know a lot of people talk about it when it's literally just her and a guitar um but i i actually really like a lot of her full band stuff maybe even more definitely i think kyoto is a huge tune um and um yeah i'm wondering what you might think about my thought that it perhaps dips a little bit around the middle of the record and then kind of picks up again for uh, that kind of ending arc of I See You and um, I, I Saw The End being the final track. There's a couple of tracks between those two. But because a lot of that kind of middle section of the record is kind of just her and a guitar, I find it quite difficult to distinguish one track from another around the middle of that record. I can understand why you'd think that. But fundamentally, you couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll all agree that you're wrong. Okay. Um, this it, I I can see that if you like the kind of more full band stuff, then you obviously you're going to be more drawn to the kind of Kyoto's and those things. But the songs on there, such as Halloween, uh, Moon Song as well. There's some incredible ones. Savior Complex was um, co-written with Conor Oberst. There's so much great stuff in there. I'd probably say my standout track would probably be at the end with Graceland too. It's just there's it's every day of the week i could have a different favorite song from this record and i it's honestly just just one of the most fantastic records front to back yeah check check in with me later uh in 2021 it will no doubt be my like number two album retrospectively of 2020 the, the problem is danny is that you're just not sad enough yet yeah <laughs> 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 too full of hope and life yeah and, you, you and need youth. to drop that mate drop, <laughs> drop all that hope and get really into phoebe bridges <laughs> <laughs> right so um yeah like like i say um 
great year for sophomore records. Uh, the the debuts which we talked about in 2017, and this is another. Uh, my number four comes from a band whose debut album we definitely talked about in 2017. And I know there are some people out there who will accuse me of being biased for including Creeper in my list um, because of you know various personal connections with the band, which I'm I'm extremely grateful for. Um, and that's not to like clang name drop or anything but i can't be expected to just ignore friends when they make brilliant art like creeper have done with with sex death and the infinite void um because objectively i would argue that that creeper are the most important band of their generation i think eternity in your arms remains one of the greatest debuts of recent years it, it kind of raised the bar for british music at a time when the bar really needed raising and few bands have been able to surpass it since um now is is this one on on your list dan not to give any spoilers I, away but i left this one off because i knew it would be on yours okay that way i knew <laughs> that we'd both be able to have a gushing moment about our friends doing incredible things and i've got to say having a lot of friends putting musical outlets and a lot of me having to say yeah this is really good guys and like they've made it very easy for me to sincerely say that they've written a modern masterpiece with this and eternity in your arms is something that i i enjoyed kind of from a distance i appreciated it more than i loved it it wasn't necessarily my kind of thing but i could hear how brilliant it was yeah there was obviously standout moments this is a creative outlet that's firing on all cylinders and honestly uh from the first time that will play this, this to me i was com- completely flawed from the <laughs> first time I'll, I'll speak a little bit more about it a bit later on when we talk about uh standout songs and such like that but there are songs on this that i honestly think are the best of the year the best that the band have ever written um i it really is it's not even just a band at this point it's such a creative force and like you say it's so important to not just the uk music scene anymore but i just think just music as a whole the alternative scene benefits greatly from having them around and really does force a lot more creativity about about almost all all of our peers it's impossible to ignore this now as almost the future of the way that music should be made yeah i I mean sex death in the infinite void has has interestingly proved quite divisive even amongst some of its most dedicated fans namely because the band have kind of stripped out a decent amount of the the punk energy of their earlier works it's quite surprising when you consider that they very much came from that south coast hardcore scene or at least will and ian did anyway the the sort of two creative masterminds uh, behind creeper you may argue um but you know i was i was actually admittedly initially in that crowd of people wishing that this record had like a poison pens or or a suzanne to really kind of push it along and give it a bit of a boost but thankfully, I, I came to very quickly and realised that more of the same would have been really, really dull indeed. And actually, probably something that Creeper would would never really be capable of. Um, you know, as as the I kind of see them as the modern day masters of reinvention, and they throw some incredible curveballs on this record. There's the nods to the more interesting side of of nineties Britpop. You know, the uh, influences from Pulp and Suede and and bands like that. There's the increasing presence of glam rock. Uh, standout track for me on the album is Thorns of Love with that Queen-esque yeah. guitar solo. Um, there's there's the the country and the 50s rock and roll aspects that have, that have come from, probably from their various stints in, in America. And obviously this album was predominantly recorded in Los Angeles. Um, and if that's not enough, then there's the, the kind of enhanced balladry of a song like All My Friends, which is the best slow song that they've ever done. Sorry, Misery. Um, but 
I mean, the, the middle section of this record is perfect. I've already touched upon Thorns of Love, but you've also got, you know, Annabelle and Paradise, Poison Heart, four years ago. I think the only reason this album isn't higher in my list is I'm not 100% sure about the, the spoken word interludes and and how many of them there are on this record i totally understand why they're there but at the same time i think you could remove them and it would have little to no effect on on following the narrative of the record um Um, i i i can see that but again um it's it's completely fine to be wrong danny you know it's uh (laughs) look it's it's one of those things where i think uh the brilliance to me with creeper is everything they're a band they're going to release music but it's everything outside of that which they do so flawlessly oh. that's the those are the moments that i love about this the moments where they'll explore anything out of that all of these spoken word interludes and all of the further narrative and all of the kind of nods to everything else that you hear throughout this record to me is what really drives it home as such a creative force and that's what makes them one of those not just one of the best bands going right now one of the most interesting artists just just happening right now they're not uh, they're not just going to release the same album again and that's something that I think is it's important on so many levels for other bands to hear like you say there's going to be a plethora of people that don't like it in comparison to what they've already done but the reality is you've already got that record Yeah, here's something brand new and it's how many times have you seen a band do that on such a level that you know and it's such a risk and I think it pays off in spades here I think it's honestly it's obviously we're going to be biased here They're, yeah you know it's very difficult not to be but i've been very honest with them the whole time if they released a bad record i'd tell them i take great pleasure <laughs> in telling people you, you sadist <laughs> honestly and and actually you know what we're, we're we're a super positive podcast about all forms of art here on bitch and brew and um you know i i, I maybe it was just that trying not to sound biased that I, that I was trying to find <laughs> some sort of flaw with this record and felt incredibly stupid when I started ragging on the um, the, the spoken word interviews because actually I think they probably if you were to take them out of the record I think there might actually be something missing in their absence but I I I I, I admittedly get quite jealous of people who were there to to see Bowie at his peak or you know or Freddie Mercury at his peak um, but. I'll be able to say I was there when Creeper were at the top of their game and long may that continue. So yeah, my number four, Sex, Death and the Infinite Void by Creeper. So it is nearly time to talk about our top three records of 2020. Uh, But before we go into that, let's hear from another breakout British band, certainly one of the most talked about this year on a scale greater than than, the most, um, Dream Nails put out their awesome self-titled debut album this year, representing a scene of bands who have been doing awesome things with with unjust recognition for, for some years now. Um, and it's great to see that a band like Dream Nails uh, kind of breaking the mould. Uh, here is their drummer, Lucy Katz, telling us all about her favourite record of 2020. Hi, this is Lucy. I am the drummer from feminist punk witches from London, Dream Nails. And I am here to tell you about my favourite album of 2020, which is Porridge Radio's Every Bad. It's their second album. Uh, It was nominated for the Mercury Prize. In my opinion, they really deserve to win. And why I love this album is because other than the fact that they're lyrically and musically really interesting... They have these moments of extreme loudness that comes with a lot of swagger and bravado or angst. And they somehow manage to 
balance them perfectly with really, really quiet moments of self-reflection and self-doubt. The whole thing just feels a little bit strange. And I love the production choices, how they got it to sound so slick, but they really managed to capture the roughness of their DIY roots. That is something that at Dream Nails we really admire and can really identify with. <laughs> and what do I want for Christmas this year? What I want for Christmas is a vinyl record player so I can finally listen to Dream Now's self-titled album on its beautiful green marbled vinyl. Have a great Christmas. All right, so that was Lucy from Dream Nails and we move on to the top three. Um, now, you said th- th- this, these ones were kind of on, on a constant rotation in the, in the kind of top three spots. So these are your podium records, I guess, Dan. Uh, again, so hard to pick out anything to uh, to be above any of the others. There has been a, a really a plethora of great records, but um, one that stuck out for me in a big way, and not just because of their absence. I know we spoke earlier about this kind of resurgence of shoegaze and the way it's kind of started to influence a lot of music now, and it's coming back into, into not so much into fashion, but into a, like a, a near constant rotation with a lot of bands. It was great to see one of the originals come back this year with a bad hum releasing Inlet. It's their first record in 22 years. Wow. Has it been that long? I I had no idea it was that long. Yeah, and it's uh, it's something I didn't expect to see, but you really do love to see it. I haven't got a huge (laughs) amount to say about this. If you like Hum, you're going to love it. If you don't know about them and you like the kind of shoegaze stuff that you're hearing from the likes of Gleamer, and um, imagine, uh, imagine somewhere between that Gleamer record, uh, the dreamier side of older turnover, and maybe a kind of almost like stoner rock-esque, like uh, a, a little bit of doom thrown in there. It's just a record that kind of just keeps... It's one of the most captivating releases that I've heard in years. I absolutely love this record. Yeah, this this was an interesting one for me because I you you kind of sent me some records that might be in consideration for your for your top ten and this this was one of them. Um, I being young had not ever heard um, Hum before. Was was this a band that you were into uh, sometime before this record came out? If you had like a long storied relationship with this band, I knew the kind of like key songs. It's not something that I was really hugely into. Um, I've kind of a uh, over the last year, seeing a lot of the kind of shoegaze elements kind of come back through music, it's kind of something that I revisited and was very joyed to see that as I was kind of getting back into them, there was then new music happening, which was mm. a, it's just just a really great time to get into it. But I think the reason I've included it so highly here, I just think they're a band of influence so many and I've just kind of, it's almost like coming back to take the throne. It's, <laughs> it really is like the, it's... Of all of these records that come out that kind of try to sound like this, they've just come back out and just gone, we, we, we can still do it better. We're, and we're after better 22 years, is unbelievable. It's such a great record. Um, it's difficult to... Oh, it, I look at this one almost like kind of watching a film and the fact that I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to give away too much of the kind of where this record goes. I just encourage anyone to listen to it um, uh, un- uninterrupted, in full. There's no standout tracks. It's a standout album. It's just great front to back and it should be consumed in that way. Yeah, I think I would probably agree. Although I do, I do have one particular favourite track off this record, which is uh, the third track, Desert Rambler. Yeah. 
which is i think <laughs> near near nine minutes long again like another nine minute epic this year and that's not the sort of track length that you would you would associate with these these kind of shoegazy bands and i think that's where the kind of sludgier stoner element really kind yeah. of um uh really kind of stands out on this record um i yeah i i mean the fucking guitar tones on this record are insane it really made me uh realize how much i miss super heaven and how they need to put a new record out sure. but actually yes. in the meantime i'm i'm happy with this this is a this is a great little recommendation i'm very glad you've turned me on to it all right so my number three um oh well talk about once in a lifetime bands eh i somewhat wish i i hadn't spunked all of my hyperbole vouchers on creeper now because <laughs> um if if Creeper are the modern day masters of reinvention, then Code Orange uh, <laughs> call their bet and raise them on the, the kind of borderline scary rate of evolution that their music progresses at. Um, and, you know, it kind of raises their bet on the creation of this, um, this nightmarish dystopian world that they've created with their, with their fourth full length record um, underneath. I get genuinely scared listening to this record. It's like you were saying earlier about the the end record, um, because I think, you know, much like that end record, and, and much like Code Orange's um, uh, previous album, Forever, another album which featured on my top 10 of 2017, um, it really kind of pushes the boundaries of, of human ability, this record. It is, it is inhumanly brilliant. Um, they are adding dimensions upon dimensions and using sounds I've never heard being used before nor that I think will ever be used again in music I mean Shade their 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 programmer um, is is an out and out genius like a mad scientist of a musician in the best possible way and um, you know they're, they're quite they're quite clearly dipping into a pool of influences that, that includes Sepultura and, you know, Fear Factory, early Slipknot, maybe early System of a Down in some regard, Typo Negative, uh, Alice in Chains. Um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, nothing is ever truly original, but they they still do it in a way that's, that feels completely unique, you know, kind of taking those influences and, and creating a, a sort of weird beast with them. Um, similar to what we said about Deftones, there's there's no pigeonhole that you can put Code Orange comfortably in, and I think if there was a word to sum this band up, I think you already hit the nail on the head with just scary. There is <laughs> something about these records they put out that are so visual in the way that I can't help but listen to them that I almost feel obviously we're all jonesing for that Code Orange live show once we're able to see it. But the way they released this and all of the visual accompaniments that came with it, it almost felt right for a live stream. That yeah. I, I remember, I remember watching that and just being utterly blown away. But um, yeah, they're just one of those bands that just every time you think you've heard everything they have to offer, then they release something like this that is just—I I don't know how much how they keep finding more to give, but. There are moments of this record where I, it sounded like I was having a fight with a modem. And I don't, <laughs> it's just, I don't know how you hear a sound like that and go, I'm going to incorporate that into this weirdly industrial metal, which it's one of the most abrasive records I think I've maybe ever heard. To the point, there's no way you could put this on in the background. This takes all of your attention 
it takes all of your it will take all of your time and all of your concentration to get through it and i mean that in the best of ways it it, it was a struggle to to love this record but I love it, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not an easy record to listen to, I'll be honest. You know, when you talk about songs like Swallowing the Rabbit Hole, Cold Metal Place, Back Inside the Glass. I mean, these these tracks, these these tracks plumb new depths of extremity and, and go harder than a lot of the bands that that most people would probably consider to be more extreme. You know, we've had some really great relentless extreme records this year you already mentioned end i think the fawn limbs record as well is really really great um but i would consider you know elements of this code orange record to be more extreme purely on account of how unpredictable they are and i feel like that that. would always be way more effective than three minutes of blast beats there's there's uh, listening to this record makes every other heavy record this year just sound tame this this just sounds so unleashed. There, there was nothing about this that felt like that. At no point were they trying to please anyone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, obviously, it's come out and it's it's fantastic. But like I said, abrasive doesn't do it justice. This is just uh, it, it's it's on another level to what heavy bands are doing at the moment. And I, I really, again, it's difficult to not compare them to Creeper in that aspect on a, a vision level because it is just constant reinvention and constant visionary kind of stuff that really pulls together. This band would have half the impact if it does, if it didn't come with all the imagery that they portray with this okay. and it all, it all sits together to make this incredible package of just, and this is to me what I was saying beforehand, I think it's just the future of music and art as a whole. It's these, these full package deliveries of this is everything that we want you to consume around this. And it's difficult not to get lost in their world, which is a fucking terrifying place to be. <laughs> I feel like what's also great about Underneath is, is you know, like you say, it, it shows little to no restraint. Um, but they've also taken on some of the, the mainstream attention that Forever kind of garnered um and applied it in a way that doesn't at all feel compromising you know when you think about songs like sulfur surrounding which is where that typo negative alice in chains sound really uh really takes center stage and i think reba mayer's uh, contributions on this record um uh, also like the the title track um Last one's left. Actually, it's a track we haven't uh, yeah. talked about, which is which is almost like a thrash song. It's like one of the most straightforward things that Code Orange have done in recent years. It's it's great. This this kind of reminds me of what like Slipknot were doing on Volume Three, uh, you know, the subliminal verses, and much like Forever, um, Underneath is not a record I listen to a lot because it requires a lot of energy, and I almost feel like I need to lie down afterwards. But when I do listen to it, it is a bewilderingly intense experience in the best possible way. So yeah, it, mine... it just attacks you from the moment it starts until the moment it ends. There's, it's the most relentless record of the year. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not something that you'll put on in the background. It's not something you'll, you'll willingly put your friends onto <laughs> and sit in a room and go, let's listen to this record together. It's not that at all. It's, but it's in a league of its own and its creativity and heavy music. Yeah, I, I I rarely kind of pre-order new vinyl. I usually wait until I've heard the album and kind of see whether it's something that I would kind of want to add to my vinyl collection. But I pre-ordered the vinyl for this one. And I remember like actually waiting, not listening to it on streaming services as soon as it released. I kind of got home with the vinyl and actually waited to sit down and, and properly listen to the record on, on, my, uh, on my turntable. 
and uh, I I didn't have it on very loudly because I want to be considerate of, of my partner who I live with. And uh, and even then, uh, after about three songs, she was like, "I'm gonna go in the other room." You you. If you, if you I heard that this on your own. From my, if, if I could hear that through the walls from my neighbor's house, I'd call the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, uh, underneath by by Code Orange, my number three. Um, right. Only yeah, we're going to be talking about EPs of the year in a little bit. We haven't finished talking about albums just yet. Um, but one band we'll be uh, talking about, or well, certainly I'll be talking about. Spoiler alert: uh, is Bristol's Sugar Horse. Um, when you're at a loss for words, uh, steal them from others. So I will refer to a brilliant line that Stephen Hill used to describe them in Metal Hammer once, uh, which was that they sound like neurosis and joy division being sick all over each other. Um, and I think that is a superb way to describe Sugar Horse and their EP from this year, which is called Drugs. Here to tell us about his favourite record of 2020 is the lead vocalist and guitarist Ash Tubb. Hi, this is Ash from that there band Sugar Horse, and you're listening to the Bitchin' Brew podcast. My favourite album of 2020 is The Dead Dead Woods by the Honourable Mike Vinart. Mike's solo stuff has always been pretty breathtaking, and he's never been afraid to shoot off in a million directions at once. It's heavy, beautiful, sparse and dense all at the same time, with like mad noise sections, uh, riffs the size of houses, And like on all his records, some of the most inventive vocals you'll ever hear. All hail the King of Prague. Uh, For Christmas, I'd like to go play a show or see something uh, like loud and obnoxious, preferably. Uh, Failing that, a decent night's sleep would be good, as my daughter's just turned one, uh, most people know. That that age and sleeping for eight hours don't mix well. Anyway, cheers. So thank you very much to um, to Ash <laughs> from from Sugar Horse. Um, uh, Dan's laughing because I ignored a question he asked just so we as we kind of paused recording and and, and kind big of surprise. pressed on. Yeah, big, ignored big su- again, snubbed again. <laughs> <laughs> but we will be talking a little bit more about Sugar Horse in a bit because we still got the golden tea bags to do. Talking about the EP the breakout artist, the record label, the track, and the overall artist of the year. I've got to uh, say, Danny, Golden Tea Bags doesn't sound like something you'd want. It's, uh... <laughs> it's, it, it is, despite the name, it is the highest honour that one can be bestowed uh, in, in, in music ever. Um, I've, I've been doing music my entire life, dude. I'm not, if someone offered me a Golden Tea Bag, I'm not sure how I'd take that. Well, it's a good thing that Guillotine have split up because you're not getting one. <laughs> honestly i can live with that if anything i will, will remain split up you've just, you've ruined the reunion i don't <laughs> you keep your golden i think it's, it sounds somewhere between a mixture of a golden shower and a tea bag that I, really makes me feel horrified by the whole process not oh. to kink shame anyone danny if that's what you want to bestow on people instead of awards then by all means but um as long as it's consensual can I, can I ask that you politely stop at this point because you are actually, actually giving away my plans to launch a Patreon in 2021? <laughs> this is Danny's OnlyFans where he actually gives out <laughs> the golden tea bags <laughs> in person. Oh, Christ, can we move on? Let's talk about... Um, I'm honestly begging for tier three so that this doesn't happen at this point. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh dear right okay let's let's talk about our, our runners up in terms of the the album of the year although like you say they've they've kind of been chopping and changing haven't they in the in the in the top three I, spots like i said any of these could have taken it um this was one anyone that knows me and the kind of music i like will not be surprised to find that keaton henson put out a new record and i'm gonna gush over it for a minute because monument is probably his most it's probably his most consistent works yet as far as songwriting goes. Um, this is a record that I was so excited about the build-up and then when it was out and I actually had a chance to listen to it, I couldn't bring myself to listen to it because I just knew how much it was going to ruin my week. He's got <laughs> one of those, similar to the, fuck, the, the, like the first Phoebe Bridges record, or if anyone's familiar with Keaton Henson, you know what you're getting yourself in for. It's a, a soul-destroying hour that you, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to love to hate. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those one of those moments where it's just it's songwriting on its own. There's no uh, tricks pulled. It's just uh, some of the most emotive writing that I've I, you'll ever hear. And to hear that he's come back and he's doing records again is something that brought me a whole lot of joy and a whole lot of heartache at the same time. Um, I don't necessarily think this is his strongest. Uh, it doesn't necessarily include some of his strongest songs, but like I said, definitely his most consistent. Uh, wow. The storytelling and the lyrical content, it just sets him apart from anyone else. It shines again. The, the production, and I, I hate constantly going back to production, but it really makes his records. The fact that you listen to this with headphones on and you'll feel like you're sat in a room with a man having a nervous breakdown. And it's honestly, it's harrowing, but comforting and soul destroying and beautiful all at the same time uh, it's, it gives you that impression that you're literally sat next to someone and this record might fall apart in front of you at any point uh, no, no one does this like Keaton Henson and I, it's honestly a joy to have him back making music again honestly the way you're describing that makes it sound a lot like this podcast to be honest <laughs> it could fall apart at any moment at any I feel time. like I'm sat in a room crying with you right now yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so um, I, I'm not actually familiar at all with Keaton Henson, uh, the name rings a bell, but have never really gone in on any of his on any of his records. Would you say uh, that this record is is a good starting point? I, I missed the title of the record as well. Uh, the title's called Monument, and okay. there are some incredible tracks in here. If you're looking to just get into them, I'd say probably Birthdays is a great or Kindly Now that they, they kind of have those standout songs. I think this is probably the best full length that he's put out as far as consistency goes. Wow. But if you're looking for just like a kind of three minute introduction, then you could probably find an easier entry point with his earlier works. But yeah, he's, he's gone between um, the last couple of releases put out is uh, self-described be bedroom classical that he's kind of done where he's been composing this uh, kind of uh, string quartet music from his bedroom, which is just, and it's just such an intimate approach to that kind of uh, romantic era string quartet kind of work. So it's just, he's got such a way with melody, which is uh, untouched by other people, it seems that it's simple, but effective in the way that similar to what I was saying with Spanish love songs, the, the brilliance of, uh, the, the work is in the imperfections and he plays on it so well and there's no click tracks to be found anywhere in sight there's no production tricks this is uh, uh, just incredible emotive music just at its peak recorded in such a fragile fashion that it will really it, it i think for a lot of people will find this hit or miss and i do understand that but it's either it will either completely grip you and have you coming back or it's something that will just fly under the radar because it's not so in your face but i would implore anyone that if they have the time to put some headphones on run yourself a bath 
You know what I mean? It's that kind of music where you're going to take some alone time. Mm, Daniel's deep bath. <laughs> it's a real sad bath at that point as well. So <laughs> you, you can, you'll save a lot on the water, but you just sit in the tub and fill it up with the tears. You would make a whole, a big pint of commiseration soup by the end of it. Mate, you're, I wish we did episode titles, to be honest, because I think Daniel's <laughs> sad bath is probably, <laughs> well, probably it's a good shout. It's, it's better than the golden tea bags, to be honest, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Not much, but it's <laughs> still hell. a step up. Like I say, mate, <laughs> Patreon, don't ruin it. <laughs> um, right, okay. So uh, that is added to my, my um, stuff, uh, list of stuff to check out. Keaton Henson Monument uh, alongside uh, PG Lost and, and Doe Brother. That's, that's one I, I really need to check out. Um, so that's your, your runner-up record slash probably one, probably joint number one, to be honest, from the sound of it. It's, it's difficult to really pick any of these from the last, mm. from any of these 10 as number one, but that's one that I was just, mo- similar to in 2017 with Circus, if I put a record, record out, it's going to be in my top 10. It's a band that hold a huge amount of weight with me, and Keaton Henson's one of those ones the same that really changed the way that I looked at songwriting, and I get so excited just to see that he's back making music again after a break that he had from it um, through anxiety reasons, things like that. It made him stop performing, and it's just it's such a story that kind of goes along with it that it's just a joy to have him back making music again. Wow, fantastic. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, so my runner-up record of the year, I know you've heard this one. Um, you kind of spoilt it already off mic. Um, and I did swap it around with Code Orange at the last minute. I was trying to figure out why, but I just think a lot of the, the things I already said about Underneath by Code Orange could probably also be applied to I Let It In and It Took Everything by Loathe. Um I think it probably helped actually pushing this to number two where, where I got to see a lot of these songs live. Like I say, I saw them at the, the joiners back in February, my first time seeing Loathe at long last. Um, I think the reason I, I put this above Code Orange is I think it opens more windows of opportunity for Loathe yeah. than, than underneath does for, for Code Orange. And like a lot of the bands that we've discussed on this podcast, it makes me realise how lucky I am to be alive a time of such imagination within the rock and metal scene, particularly within the UK. Um, now, I'd, I'd, I think you said you'd left off any records that were already on my list, but I would assume this, that this, this, this one is up there for you. This would have been my top three, it's similar to some of the others that you've mentioned, but this one particularly, honestly... I knew it was going to be good. I didn't know it was going to be that good. I mean, following up The Cold Sun, it's an album that I really loved and really they could have gone anywhere with it. And this is similar to what I was saying with the uh, the shoegaze elements coming back in through all styles of music this year, it seems. No one's done it better than Loathe. And to incorporate it in such uh, abrasive music to then incorporate this nice kind of twinkly, kind of incredibly melody-driven... Like from the moment I first heard uh, Two-Way Mirror, I was honestly just completely lost in it. And that's yeah. what I'd say about this record is it's a long record, but from the moment I put it on, I couldn't skip a single song. I got so immersed in this world that they've created. And it's just, from front to back, this is a masterpiece of heavy music. One of the best that I've heard in years. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's what makes it so brilliant is, is the, the, you know, much like we were saying right at the start of this podcast, which seems about 14 hours ago now, um, the, the contrasts of light and dark, on this record are outstanding, you know, namely in that, that vocal interplay between Kadeem France and, and Eric Bickerstaff. 
uh, is, is, is particularly outstanding. Um, one minute they can sound hideously brutal, like punishing almost with some of those guitars. And then the next they sound dreamlike and, and, you know, intoxicating. Sometimes they do it in the same song. It never uh, feels out of place, which is something I've seen and heard bands that have tried to do something similar before. And it's it, very often, it's so easy to miss the mark with this stuff, but this mm-hmm. just feels seamless. It never feels jarring until it's supposed to. Yeah. And we were we were uh, quite fortunate to have uh, Kadeem and Faisal from the band on the podcast. Really, just absolute gents. And I I've, I find it quite overwhelming what this band have shown that they are capable of uh, this year. Because I think before uh, the, they started building to this record, I had limited expectations. I, I really like that split seven inch they did with withholding absence. Yeah, I think that was kind of a bit of a turning point for me. And then they brought out um, tracks like Gord and New Faces in the Dark, which do feature on this record, but have been out there for a little while now. Um, but the cold, the cold sun, I think. The Cold Sun is a good record, but that that was about it, really. It's not one that I've I I went back to very often. It's not one that I've gone back to since listening to I Let It In and it took everything, just because this this record has it all for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've already mentioned Two Way Mirror is masterpiece level brilliant it is, um, it's up there for song of the year it, I mean, really when i first heard that faisal played me that and i was just so completely floored by it mm. and to, to have a band have been known their whole place in in the uk metal scene it is just one of those crushingly heavy bands and to go with one of their singles from the record to just be all singing this kind of amazing kind of dreamy uh you know what i mean this kind of shoegaze deftones-esque just incredible <laughs> slab of of music they'll it's, they'll they'll fucking love that deftones comparison way. i'll tell you that much i honestly it's not even a comparison anymore i think they've taken all of the work that deftones have done over the last 20 years and then put out an album better than deftones did this year which is <laughs> word honestly, word how, how they're just a band that you can't ignore anymore yeah i don't think i'd misjudge loathe off the back of the cold sun i just think they've stepped it up massively and made themselves heard as as the band to watch not not only in heavy music just in in music at the moment i think they are just yeah the, the cold sun for me the cold sun was a record that i loved live a whole lot and the, the record for me i do enjoy but there it did kind of fall into some of those traps of here's a singing chorus here's a screaming verse here's a singing chorus. yeah and there's bits of that that i can find it to me the the changes between those on the record did feel slightly jarring live i thought it was incredible mm. there was something kind of lacking and i think that's what they found like you said with the holding absence seven it's from the moment i heard seven and master and i was like the riffs here taking them to a whole different world they haven't explored and then with this album it's just no one's doing this and this is their world and we're just living in it at this point yeah. that album to me is just it's unrivaled creativity the, the 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 riffs that they draw from the inspirations they draw from the the synth interludes everything about it i couldn't be more here for oh yeah you talk about that that uh you know i was saying earlier about frank delgado from deftones and kind of adding that almost blade runnery type uh influenced synth work uh to to the deftones sound and, and loath have already have beat them there uh, beat them to it haven't they in 
in spades as well they, they don't yeah. try and hide it behind anything this is they've created an entire universe around their sound and it's so interesting and you just it makes you so excited for what they're going to do next and they've done it all whilst knowing that the earth isn't flat you know <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, Deftones are always going to hold that pedestal but <laughs> there's uh, a huge element of where they've dropped a, I would say they've dropped the ball but I don't know how much they believe in balls at this point <laughs> you know. right well uh loathe i let it in and it took everything if you've not heard that record yet you uh yet you need to let it in and let it take fucking everything honestly superb uh that is my uh runner-up in terms of album of the year but it was it was it was so tight honestly we'll get on to uh, what our number one picks were in the end. Um, we do have time to call in on one more artist to tell us about their favourite record of the year. And this is someone who has actually been on the podcast multiple times in the past. Uh, not as many times as, as Dan Fisher, but, you know, uh, he's, he's creeping on up. One band that we haven't spoken about today, but have had an awesome year, is Vukovi. They put out their second record, Full Better, at the start of the year and followed it up with an, an equally great single called Slow, uh, which they released just recently. Uh, so it is a pleasure to welcome back, and I mean it this time, genuinely a pleasure to welcome back this person. Uh, they are certainly not an albatross. Um, this is, albeit through a, a pre-recorded message, but it's great to welcome back one half of Vukovi. It's guitarist and all-round lovely human being, Hamish Riley. Hey, what's up, guys? It's uh, Hamish from Vukovi here. And uh, yeah, some albums from 2020. God, it's been tough. Um, I'd say my favourite album of the year is probably the Hayley Williams solo album. Uh, that has been my most listened to album this year, <laughs> by a mile. I mean, I, lo- I love most of the stuff she does, but... I think the album's amazing, and I love how it's a bit of a change from Paramore, but I like the kind of direction she's taken. Um, I like the softness of the songs. I think I think it's really cool. It's really refreshing, actually. Um, that was my favourite. Then probably the new Paris record, Use Me, as, as well. Um, that album's amazing. Again, like I, I really love how they've just gone fully into the electronic elements on that. I know the lineups changed in that a bit as well, but I, I love that record. Um, and then Bring Me Horizon album, incredible. Uh I love all the heaviness again. I love the last the last album as well, but I think uh, it's nice hearing the riffs and stuff and the low tunings and stuff. It's class, man. They're so good at that stuff. Um, and one more. I think this came out at the start of the year. Grimes' latest record as well. Like, all the singles in that came out for it last year, I think. Pretty, like, most of them anyway. Um, but the album came out this year. Uh, all class. Like, she's just so inventive. Um, there's only four I can think of off the top of my head. There's been so many good singles this year. So many good singles, but... Uh, those are my those are my top four so far. <laughs> Cheers. All right, thank you very much to Hamish uh, from Vukovi and to all the artists uh, that we've had on this podcast telling us about their favourite albums of the year. But now it's time for us to talk about our albums of the year. Um, Dan, I mean, you you had alluded to um, before we started recording this. I think we mentioned it at some point during recording this as well. It's all kind of blurring into one now, to be honest. Um, that you had kind of cut out any albums that were in my list already because i kind of sent you mine yeah. in, in advance i uh I, I have to say my my number one record of this year would probably have been emma ruth rondo and thou wow. i have to say that was that really floored me when i first heard that and every time i've listened back it's something that i continue to pick out more and more from but at the same time i know that you listed that at number 10 which is a, a real shocker on your part danny <laughs> but um <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, I will say that there is something that does overshadow it this year. Oh, I'm going to pull in a wild card here, mate, Ooh. and call not only the album of the year, the greatest album of all time, the the album that all albums should always be held up against. If you say the greatest hits of Hooberstank, I'm going to come round there, Blake, break lockdown restrictions and twat you, honestly. <laughs> Well, look, it's, it's better than that. And that's not something I say lightly. Because this year did see the 20th anniversary reissue of Coldplay's Parachutes. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> it's forever going to be the greatest record of all time. It's uh, honestly, we've spoken about a lot of great records today and all of them pale in comparison to what will forever be uh, the high point of music. Uh, I don't have much more to say about that. If Is you that actually heard, your number one you, pick? You've picked a fucking reissue. Well, you picked mine at number 10, Danny. So I'm going off the cuff here. And I'm going with Coldplay. And I have no regrets, to be honest with you. The more, <laughs> oh, no! The, the, more, the more I think about it, the more, the more I back it. I've listened to it more than anything else this year and every other year for the last 20 years. Oh, my Christ. Okay. I, I, if, if you I, I, tell me there's a better reissue this year as far as singles to shiver, don't panic and yellow. Even everything's not lost. You're going to tell me that anything this year has come close? Um, 20, year, white, 20 years of the best, Danny. 20 years pony. of the best. No. Subpar. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I feel genuinely bad now that I kind of stole your thunder and I wish you hadn't told me that, you, you know, when we, when we kind of took a, a quick, a short, a short piss break after talking about Emma Ruth Rundle and now that that was actually your number one. But I'd I take you a what, break to go and prepare those, uh, those golden tea bags. <laughs> Let them brew, uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, but as opposed to this being like a giant anticlimax, which it feels like it is at the moment, why why don't How we use you. yeah? Why don't we use this opportunity for you to tell me why I should reevaluate my thoughts on Coldplay through the the, the parachutes reissue? So, uh, uh, so just to begin with, what is your current relationship with Coldplay parachutes? Um, minimal. I, I think as much as I, I'm willing to slag off Coldplay, especially present day Coldplay. And oh, anything... yeah, present day Coldplay is there to be slagged off. When we're talking about Coldplay, it's what I like to refer to as old play. We're talking the first three <laughs> albums uh, being the first two and three quarter albums being the best albums of all time. But this one specifically is just, just really is just like a landslide victory of everything you really want to hear from a, a British band coming out. Obviously, the year 2000, it opens with Don't Panic. It's, uh, as a guitarist, it's everything I ever wanted to hear that never really got from them. They stand out amongst all of their contemporaries whilst making themselves... It, it, this it really is a record that everyone has been trying to recreate since and failing miserably. You, mm. And it, Coldplay included in that. They've released some great records, but nothing will ever top Parachutes. It's, I don't know how short we describe it to you as the greatest record of all time, but it, it truly is. And I say that without a, an ounce of uh, regret. I, 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 have, I have no remorse here. <laughs> no regrets. Um, <laughs> look, I'll tell you what, I, I, I think... You know, I think you've actually, through making this your number one album of the year, bafflingly, you've managed to wrangle yourself a a kind of um, a fifth appearance on this podcast in 2021. Because here's the thing: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna a go away. of Coldplay. No, I'm I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna listen to Parachutes, 
um i'll listen to the reissue what what what's new about this reissue is there like bonus material no oh okay good. you don't you don't change perfection danny oh, for fuck's sake honestly you um, don't, you don't... <laughs> i should have just asked my dad to do this podcast <laughs> it would have been less painful even with all his dad jokes look honestly give it a listen and tell me i know it's easy to make jokes about coldplay i know it's too easy but there is an element of pure sincerity when I talk about how fantastic this album is and how, honestly, one of the most life-changing records I ever heard as, as a guitarist. There's, there's such an element of space that they managed to create between all of the instrumentation on this and the songwriting. It's, it's before they got a budget to do whatever they wanted, which was inevitably the downfall of the band. Mm. But um, yeah, it's just brilliant songs. There's not a single bad song on there. It's the greatest record of all time, Danny. It really okay. is. All right. All right. Well, look, here's the deal. We'll get you back on in 2021. Not saying when, because otherwise <laughs> that would, uh, you know, mean I'd be committed to it. And look, I don't know whether I can be at this stage, but we'll get you back I'll on in you 2021. I'll put you through like a like an uncaged-esque version, but including oh. Coldplay instead, where you have to listen to Coldplay parachutes every day until you like it. I think I would actually <laughs> rather get in the cage. <laughs> with Nicolas Cage um, but no I'll tell you what I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a bone with this one I'll play Devil's Advocate and we'll do like uh, Danny's re-evaluation of Parachutes by Coldplay and we'll do a track by track and, and if you, if you we'll make that, it a special podcast I'll tell you what mate because this, this is probably going to upset you even more if I was to turn around and tell you that White Pony was maybe my second or third least favourite Deftones record to the point where I don't even consider it when i go to listen to deftones and that's something that i've been considering re-listening to and trying to see how wrong i am on there i'm, I'm willing to take you up on that if you if you give parachutes a go T- to be honest i i kind of wish maybe i'll give you my my favorite album of all time 1977 by ash which i'm not sure if it's, if it's an album that that you are ultimately very familiar with all i know is that you know an anecdote we tell all the time on this podcast you decided to interrupt my interview with ash backstage at teddy rocks <laughs> pissed while wearing poor patrol face paint <laughs> Um, I didn't decide to. I needed to get my stuff to to leave. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. There's only there's only so much you can be the recycle dog, you know. It's uh, <laughs> when you, when you're literally in, in hammered drunk at a festival, <laughs> dressed as Rocky from Paw Patrol. There, there's there's a moment when you know you have to leave. Yeah, and that, uh, that unfortunately, was... you had all of my belongings. <laughs> Right, okay, yeah. So maybe I'll give you 1977 by Ash. We'll swap our favourite albums of all time and we'll do a, we'll do a, a comparison. All right. All right, cool. It's a, it locked in. I, I, am, I am very desperate to hear what you have as a number one at this point. Okay. How can, how can you save this monstrosity that I brought you? I mean, yeah, no, to be fair, <laughs> what an anticlimax, honestly. Um, honestly, what, I think it's it, the, the greatest what, climax of all time. <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, I'm confused at this point when you said there was no bonus material. Is this actually a reissue or have you just picked an album from the year 2000 and said it turned <laughs> they, 20? They did, they did a vinyl reissue this year okay. on, right. uh, on a bonus. You, you wouldn't believe the colour of the record. Oh, okay. It's yellow. Uh, oh, it's yellow. <laughs> All yellow. <laughs> it was all yellow. Oh god. Okay. Oh. Well, the golden tea bags are coming in a minute. So, um, 
yeah, I, I do have one album left to talk about. Um, and we've talked about some sensational albums today. Uh, you know, Loathe, Code Orange, Touche Amore, Creeper. I mean, so many. So Emma, Ruth, Rundle and Thou. Um, yeah, which, honestly, like not to undersell it. That really would have been my album of the year. Um, honestly, it really did blow my mind. Um, yeah, I just I did. We've already gushed over that. What now seems like an, an hour and a half ago. But it, it actually like... probably was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is now time for me to pledge my allegiance to our queen and our saviour, Hayley Williams, because uh, my number one album of 2020 uh, is her debut solo outing, uh, Petals for Armour. Now, this is something that I think a lot of us thought may never happen. When you look at the the storied history of Paramore and all the you know things that they had to go through about record labels wanting to sign Haley and not the rest of the band, you can understand why she would be permanently put off of going solo at any point after that and that, and that ordeal. Um, and at the same time, it, it's something that seems very much kind of long awaited and, and inevitable, really. Um, the the way that people look at Paramore sometimes does a disservice to the fact that they are a, co- a collective of, of brilliant musicians. They're they're a band for for me. They're a band for life, um, and you know it's it's not just Haley and her backing band, um, but there is, there is no denying that that Haley Williams is an absolute kind of mega star of the twenty first century force of songwriting. Yeah. And if that wasn't already apparent by the work with Paramore, uh, from the moment that Simmer came out, I was honestly just completely floored. Yeah. Like, what an, uh, what an absolute statement of intent that that was. And yeah, it really is just a, a real triumph of music. Yeah. I, I think, you know, looking, looking at the, the kind of world that it sits within, um, you know, Petals for Armour, I think, is kind of a, a summation of the emotional depth that pop music, you know, popular music can carry in the 21st century. I think there's many, many misconceptions that pop music is still just 100% shallow radio fodder. Um, and that is just not the case. And this is this has come from someone who, who took a long time to come around to the fact that there are some real nuggets of musical genius in modern there's, pop music. This, this year has really been a triumph for pop music in so many ways. And not to kind of pigeonhole Hayley Williams' efforts here into pop music. There is huge elements of it. But I'm talking with the likes of, um, I mean, the, the two Taylor Swift records we now have at this point, which have both just been honestly incredible. Um, We've got the Charlie XCX record, which again is just a, a fantastic listen front mm-hmm. to back. And I kind of placed this somewhere in amongst that mix, which seems so bizarre from someone from the alternative world to cross over. But yeah. it's done so seamlessly and with such elegance that it's it's difficult to not take this seriously. Mm. I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, I, I think it's not just this year. I think it's the last few years as well. I think about albums like uh, Melodrama by Lord, um, you know, uh, even like the last, we're talking about some of the biggest artists in the world here right now. Like the last couple of Ariana Grande records for me have yeah. been, uh, you know, huge some, records. Yeah, huge records, really. Um, and I think Hayley Williams has, has kind of struck gold with Petals for Armour. Um, a lot of the conversation has been around the events that preceded this record, namely uh, Hades' divorce from Chad Gilbert from, from Newfound Glory. Um, and I don't want to dwell on, on these events too much, um, it, it, but that is kind of hard to ignore when talking about this record. Um, if I may talk about it generally, I think this is the soundtrack to uh, you know a, a woman becoming empowered 
um, and the the kind of you know rejuvenating energy that that has. Um, you know, you follow Haley on a real journey of um, of kind of self discovery on this record, for for lack of a less wanky phrase, and it's made some made her something of a of a kind of feminist icon more more so than before and that's coming from you know a a, a white man um you know she 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 has blossomed into the you know petals blossom there uh into the um iconic figure that she was she was really kind of born to be some some would argue that she was already there but i i feel like there's more depth to her star power now on account of how frank and honest she is on this record um and you know moving moving away from that musically to me this is this is basically the perfect pop record there are earworms and and choruses and catchy melodies for days i mean you think about uh, dead horse in the center of the record how many times have you been walking around in that how many times has that just popped into your head and then never left yeah yeah it's um you, you've done a good job there of just reinstating it for the rest of my christmas so yeah. that's uh <laughs> <laughs> reinstating it but out of tune lovely uh, it, even better <laughs> um but yeah then then you know tracks like cinnamon and pure love have you have you as, as a quick sort of uh side note have you seen her um her tiny desk home concert yet for, yes, for npr unbelievable so really good just just on another level yeah. she's always always been one of those almost perfectionist musicians when you watched her perform and it's just been it really is great to watch someone come into their own on the solo record that again like you say was very questionable as to whether it was going to happen but mm-hmm. i'm very glad it did and it doesn't just feel like an extension of paramore and i think that was always the worry with this kind of thing is that where does it fit does it just become another paramore release but just under her name and it really does hold its own against everything and it's i i really hope there's more to come yeah i mean you know i i think the, this this kind of um these kind of earworms that she's created on this record uh, are done using a perfect mix of, of organic and electronic instrumentation you know like early on in the record you've got leave it alone which uh brings in some like real radiohead influence she's she's talked massively about how much radiohead has influenced her in the creation of this record and an artist like bjork as well i got massive bjork vibes off of that that track leave it alone and, and off a lot of the sort of first act of the record really because it's split into three acts i guess um and then towards the end of the record you've got a track like sugar on the rim where she goes like full madonna it's crazy <laughs> um and i think while while Hayley Williams is the obvious star of this this record. She is surrounded by some some brilliant musicians. Um, Joey Howard's bass work throughout this record is sensationally funky. Um, I think Taylor York, obviously her Paramore bandmate, has, has done a, a spotless production job on this. Um, amazing guest appearance from uh, the the Boy Genius Collective. So second mention yeah. of phoebe bridges but also julian baker and lucy dacus doing the um uh, uh, guest vocals on on roses violet lotus iris um that that's kind of like a classy nod to the generation of musicians that that hayley williams has clearly influenced and will continue to influence i think it's really cool that um uh, that she that she got boy genius to sing on the record um i th- i think you know round rounding this off th- this record has has made a a kind of multifaceted pop culture icon out of Hayley williams the human being not just yeah. Hayley williams the the lead singer of paramore and 
like you were saying earlier, it's not an extension of Paramore. It's it's totally what solo albums should be. And for that reason, it is my number one album of 2020, Petals for Armour by Hayley Williams. Um, before we go into our golden tea bags, let's just uh, call on the listeners of Bitch and Brew very quickly to talk about some of their albums of the year. You've been very kind to send them in via social media. Uh, let's start with Dominic Smith, who said, uh, Uvoid Synthesizer by Machine Girl. Have you heard of that record at all? I can't say that I have. Um, do we have anything about it? Uh, no. What kind cool. of thing can I expect? Cool. Yeah, there we go. I'll, Excellent. Moving I'll, on. I'll listen to that or I won't. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, uh, David George said, Father of All Motherfuckers by Green Day. I, I, can, I can level with you now. I'm never going to listen to it. No. Okay. So, he, uh, he, he claims that it felt like a bit of a return to form for them. Um, they can return to whatever form they, they started off as, uh, preferably some sort of gas or mineral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not actually listened to that record. I've, I can't bring uh, myself to do it. I can't. I'll, I'll live with you, mate. I couldn't hate Green Day more. Okay. Not, not even Dookie? Eight. No, especially not that. It's 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 hot shit. But you know, each each to their own. If if you love it, well done you. You've you've found something in music that I haven't, and that's oh, the beauty of music. But no, you know, look, it's I... um, you know, it's it's. <laughs> the, this is the thing. I, I feel like I'm really like slagging off my listeners now for actually sending in suggestions. Not like, if... at all. That's that's not what I mean. I genuinely do, man. It's the beauty of music that I I I do not like that style of music at all. It's absolutely fine that everyone else does. Yeah, it's that's if we all had the same opinion, we wouldn't be arguing about Coldplay. You know, it's it 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 is what it is, and it's. Please don't take my uh, my negative approach to Green Day as a as, as any sort of a discouragement for enjoying it. No, if it worked for you, David, then then that's all that matters. But I, I still won't forget the fact that I think he thinks that Imagine Dragons are like a legitimate rock band. And I'm like... Okay, okay, okay I take everything back. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, David, if you're listening, I love, I love you, buddy. I hope you keep him well. Um, Jamie Holker, friend of the podcast, previous okay. guest, uh, said it was technically very late December 2019, but uh, they've picked uh, Harry Styles' fine line. Yeah. Talking about pop records, I've not actually listened to this, but I, I have... Right. I, I am I'm actually invested somewhat in harry styles and their, their kind of um post one direction oeuvre even if i'm not it's that one familiar of those records it. you probably you'll say that you haven't listened to it but you'll listen to the record and realize that you almost know every song okay and it's, it's the songs that you would have heard around and you go i didn't realize that's who it was and that's one of the really joyous things of that record but yeah shout out jamie great 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 opinion there <laughs> harry harry styles is brilliant yeah. I'm not going to shit on Green Day anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Move on from Green Day, honestly. Right, that's, that's really put. Uh... <laughs> right, Neil McCallum said uh, this one will cheer you up. Spanish love songs, miles above yeah. anything else. Wow, there we yep. go. Uh, uh, hard, hard agree. And look, uh, one more. It wouldn't be an episode of Bitch and Brew without a contribution from my father, Mark Bomber Randon. Did um, ACDC have a record out this year? They did, and it's not Was... on his list sell out yeah he sent us a, <laughs> actually it might be further down the list he sent us a full full top 10 i'd um, love to hear it yeah uh, well i don't have the full <laughs> top 10 on me but i, I pulled we, the top three if, if you could post it along with along with this podcast then i'd i'd be i'd love to read through that 
Okay, absolutely. But he picked, so his top three. Number three uh, was the live Wild Hearts album, 30 Year Itch, um, which okay. I've not listened to yet, but I fucking love the Wild Hearts. So, you know, definitely going to go listen to that over Christmas. Number two, uh, he's picked Sex, Death and the Infinite Void by Creeper. Yeah, no surprises there. And another great show. Top lad. And then uh, uh, I haven't actually listened to his number one, but uh, again, by, by the merits of what we were saying about Coldplay earlier, I'm tempted to disqualify it because from the sounds of what he's, uh, from the sounds of it, it sounds like some sort of reissue or compilation. He's gone for the Thin Lizzy Rock Legends box set. Um, I, I, look, I, I, it's, I, think it's his fav- I think it's fair to say it's his favourite band of all time. Yes, even more than ACDC. Um, <laughs> Thin Lizzy hold a particular place in my dad's heart. But if, I, if uh, you honestly consider disqualifying Thin Lizzy, then I need to reevaluate our friendship. I, I'm not. I fucking love Thin Lizzy. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Fa- fair enough. Fair enough, Dad. Um, that, that's, um, uh, thank you very much to, to all the listeners of Bitch and Brew who, who sent in their albums of the year. Yes, even you, David, uh, although I'm <laughs> not listening to that Green Day record. Sorry. Um, it's time for the golden tea bags. And we'll do this kind of in dispatches because we have gone on for a little while. Uh, these do are I need the... to put some towels down? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, EP of the year. Um, now, I've, I've got like three picks for this uh, really I've got, I've got a couple that i I've, I've got one real standout one and a couple of shout outs for it all right you go first by all means i'll give you a, a couple of shout outs and then we'll go from there but um one thing that has only just come out that i've really found myself loving similar along the lanes uh, along the same lines as the spanish love songs record but um a little bit more down that kind of uh like a polished menzingers maybe uh trying to think of the right way to describe it almost again that kind of turnover element but um a band from something called the lonely surf about a record called shifting i think it's believed i believe that's what it's called but either way whatever it's called it's fantastic really recommend anyone to listen to that um along the same lines um former bandmate james heffy uh put out his new uh, project snake eyes put out an ep called skeletons mm-hmm. listen, listen to that a whole lot this year that's picking up some steam now i can't wait to see that live uh, Josh Gogan from uh, formerly of the Chariot and uh, other incredible bands put out his new 68 project. Mm-hmm. They had a new EP out, uh, Love Is Ain't Dead, which is just as, if you've heard any of the other 68 stuff, it's just as fucky. <laughs> it's <laughs> an, an incredible listen. But yeah, really, really rate that. Um, EP of the year for me was an absolute no-brainer and that was Holy Fawn, the Black Moon. The Black Moon. Oh, that's a great EP. I missed that off my list, actually. But that is it's, great Honestly, shout. if there was more songs on it, it probably would have had my top spot for albums. But it's probably the most immersive listen of the entire year. Yeah. Yeah, it, only With only three songs, but the most expansive listen that I've had the entire year. You know what? I might actually be able to. Uh, I might actually agree with you reluctantly, uh, as, as say that's our joint EP of the year. But I, I did want to also shout out the Snake Eyes EP. Uh, it's, it's great to hear. Uh, it's great to hear some of those people back making music again for sure. Um, and it heralded the return of Failure by Design Records. So you know that's always a bit of a bonus, isn't it? Um, then, oh, like I said, the the Sugar Horse EP earlier. I think I, I don't know if I can say anything better than. Um, uh, than Stephen Hill's summation of it sounds like neurosis and uh, Joy Division being sick all over each other. It is a, a bewilderingly dark and 
uh, moody, disgusting gothic record, but with some really uh, incredible light melodic touches to it, uh, really kind of uplifting in the places. Um, the, the sort of centerpiece of the record is a brilliant song called Richard Branson in the Sky with Diamonds, um, which uh, is, yeah, just go and listen to that. It's great. Um, I also wanted to shout out, uh, now we've had a couple of guests on this year that have put out some brilliant EPs. Um, Glorious, which is the supergroup featuring members of Employed to Serve and Renounced, just doing yes. really fun, bouncy, posy hardcore. They put out their Unashamed EP um, earlier this year. Um, and I was desperate to see some of those songs live this year. Hopefully next year we'll finally get to see them. Um, but Employed to Serve are working on new stuff as well. So they'll be very, very busy in 2021, no doubt. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, oh, Out of Love as well. Um, they they put out uh, just a, a great selection of like, I think it's like eight minutes long, four tracks, punk bangers um, out on Venn Records this year. But I, I actually yeah. think I might concur that, that Holy Fawn, and I can't believe I forgot that because that, yes, is, is phenomenal. Um, um, I'd just like to point out, because I know no one can see what's happening right now, but my dog has jumped on me. I promise this isn't just me heavy breathing. <laughs> it's all the it's all the talk about tea bags, honestly. Yeah. Oh, tofu! What are you doing? You are getting tea bagged, Danny. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> oh God! Uh, right. So um, we are there. There are two artist categories this year uh, because there's usually a gig of the year category, but really we haven't been to that many gigs. So, uh, and I've not really been a, a huge fan of the the live stream gig thing. I, I understand its importance, but it's never really kind of clicked with me from a, from an enjoyment perspective. Um, so I decided to swap out gig of the year and do breakthrough artists of the year. Now my criteria for this was uh, artists who put out a, a debut release, whether that's a debut EP or uh, an album following their, their EP uh, this year and uh, an artist that just kind of made their mark uh, as as kind of ones to watch in the years following uh, you made a slightly sort of a, a <laughs> screwy face there so have you have you done that on the same criteria or have you done it differently? Uh, not necessarily the same criteria no um, I did write down a, a breakout artist it's just a, someone I think has just excelled so much and it's someone we've already spoken about but that for me is Phoebe Bridges and I know as someone that already has so many records out at this point with collaborations and our own uh, solo works but the the four Grammy nominations alone speak volumes for how much she's doing right now um, hasn't set a foot wrong everything she put us out has just been complete gold including like you know the, the Goo Goo Dolls cover uh, the Manchester Orchestra cover there's just been so many high points in a career that's just constantly going upwards and although this isn't necessarily a breakout artist I do feel like this is the year that's the start of something that's going to be huge yeah okay well no fair enough I think that's that's a very fair uh, choice for, for breakout artists I, I, I would I, I'd be actually be tempted to go for joint winners here although we already discussed the, the Foxdraw album um being my favorite debut album of the year there are two artists that just missed out on my top 10 who i think put out phenomenal debut albums i've already mentioned them at the start of this podcast i think the the co-winner for my breakthrough artist of the year goes to both aa williams who i think is is just going to do incredible things especially now she's signed to bella union which i believe is the same record label as father john misty and to think of the places that they that that could take her and and her kind of uh, beguiling blend of dark haunting folk music um, I, yeah I'm very excited to see where she goes with that I think that's really going to kind of push her out of our, our weird little pocket of, of alternative music 
um, and also Clip Drip. Uh, the Clip Drip album is is fantastic and and was so close into my top ten there. Uh, doing so many kind of um, they're, they're they're sonically daring, they're lyrically uh, like caustic and and really kind of funny and ironic and sort of sardonic and just uh, um, scabrous at times as well. And I, I feel like the message behind what Clip Drip do um is is so important but it's delivered in a way that's just massively enjoyable as well yeah they're a band that we spoke about a lot um, beforehand with um we spoke about a show that they've actually got upcoming which uh, uh, i think last time i saw them was at heartbreakers we spoke about this a little bit um off air beforehand about how they're one of those bands where similar to how I think people, when they first heard things like Rage Against the Machine, would have been so baffled by how Tom Morello was making some of these sounds. They're one of those bands where you'll listen to a record and just be utterly clueless as to how this guitarist is, is making all, all of these noises. And it's so incredible to watch live. It's something that I'm really excited to have, have back as soon as we've got live music again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I'm very excited for that, uh, that show at the Joiners because uh, I've still not seen Click Drip live yet. They were playing Arc Tangent last year and I, and I unfortunately missed them. So yeah, really, really excited to see how that comes across live. I've heard very, very good things indeed. Um, right, let's, let's rattle through these last categories. Uh, record Label of the Year. Now you said this was, this was quite a weird one because it's been obviously a weird year. But I did just want to shout out uh, Failure by Design Records for, for coming back strong of this course, year by putting yeah. out that, that Snake Eyes EP. Um, also, uh, my, my winners of this, this category last year, uh, Hassle Records, have had another fantastic year um, by celebrating their 15th anniversary in, in a that way was, that... Uh... That was probably going to be my shout for this year, to be honest, between okay. Hassel and uh, Pelagic Records have just been putting out not only like celebrating the, the milestone of 15 years, but all of the records they have reissued because of it is remind you of what an incredible history they've had. Mm-hmm. It, they, they seem to have definitely got their dues through through uh, reminding people, yeah, we put out the we, we were the, the label behind these records. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate um no my so my record label of the year uh, i did just want to shout out failure by design and hassle first before i i talk about uh, church road records um I, I i will keep this brief because i think you know the, the context around it um has some has some subject matter which needs to be uh, treaded around quite lightly um but you know the the kind of increased activity from church road records because they were a label that existed before this year yeah. much to, uh contrary to what some people believe uh you know they operated mainly as as a kind of a distro label here in the uk um formed by sammy from employed to surf a friend of the podcast and previous guest um but there were some events this year um surrounding a record label which we on bitch and brew had and and certainly personally as well had long been supporters of now i'm not going to name that label because following the events um that uh, that label has disappeared off the off the face of the earth and uh is probably never coming back and to that i say good fucking riddance um, but the reason I mention that is because Church Road have given a home to multiple bands that were left in a bit of an awkward situation as a result of, of that record label dissolving um, and acted quickly and are now kind of uh, taking the mantle of being real tastemakers in, in alternative music in all of its forms. 
and uh, already, you know, they, they, they put out some great records this year and they're set to have an even bigger 2021. They're already announcing some albums coming out in the first part of the year, which I'm very, very excited about indeed. So I think for, for those reasons, and, and I won't go on about it any further, we'll, we'll no doubt have Sammy and, um, and Justine, who you know, co-runs the label with, uh, with Sammy. We'll have them on the podcast in the new year to talk about... Um, you know the the last few months of church road records and and all the exciting shit that's going to come with it but for 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 what they did this year and the way they did it they they have to be my record label of 2020 yeah couldn't agree more yeah fantastic um okay uh this one was a tricky one track of the year now again i've gone for for a criteria where i basically left out any tracks that were featured on my album of the year on my albums yeah. of the year so i wanted to shout out some songs that were on albums which we either discussed as bubbling under or, or haven't mentioned at all yet. So I'll start with uh, Kyoto by Phoebe Bridges. Uh, yeah. I'll also shout about um, The Dreamer's Hotel by Antishikari. I quite like that Antishikari record, but I've not gone back to it very often. Uh, Cop Syrup by Biffy Clyro. What a, what a, uh, that's probably the best end track on any, on any record this year. Uh, Say the Name by Clipping. Um, Where the Boys Are by Clip Drip is an absolute rager um yeah, an, song. an artist i'm quite surprised wasn't on your list i thought we'd probably talk about this record more at length but um caspian with uh division yep. blues uh is my favorite track off that in circles record which they put out at the start of the year um this is more a hint of what's to come in 2021 i think because it'll be part of a bigger release in fact my 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 joint first place picks are, are probably that's probably the case with both of them i've gone for another world by gojira um, solid, solid pick yeah which is that kind of um i suppose that crystallization of of what a massive metal band gojira are now following the uh the kind of furore around uh around magma their last album in 2016 we need a new gojira record in 2021 i think i think we're actually going to get it and, and i would assume that another world is kind of part of this record but it is just massive modern metal done brilliantly um and uh, and like I say, my joint kind of first place pick as well. Uh, it comes from an album that is out on January first, um, <laughs> and the the album in question is "Fuck Art" by the Dirty Nil, and the song is "Doom Boy," which might actually be up there with one of the best songs that I think the Dirty Nil have ever written. Just full of such youthful abandon in in the way that those lads do it. So. Um, so yeah, had had to shout out Doom Boy. I think that is a great song. Great video as well. No, abs absolutely great shouts there. Um, a couple that I'd add there, again, not wanting to go too much into records we've really spoken about, so I won't go too much into this one, but Poisoned Heart by Creeper. Honestly, I think uh, chorus and uh, instrumentation of the year it, it, it's just an incredible feat of songwriting there. I won't go too much into that. One that I do want to talk about, um, one that's only just been released, uh, so only just made this list, is A, a Colossal Wreck by Every Time I Die. Uh, oh, the, the yes, riff, the it's so good, isn't it? Just, it's so on, good. Honestly, a, another band that just keep keep raising the bar for everyone and really setting a standard for, for alternative and heavy music. Really excited to have them back. Um, Cult of Luna, Free Bridges it's just another again you're not going to be surprised at what they're doing it's another big slab of post metal it's atmospheric it's everything that you want from a cult of luna release it makes you so excited about uh what we're hoping here is an upcoming album in the new year uh my my other song of the year probably my actual song of the year would be persona non grata by bright eyes 
I was somewhat not let down by the full record, but it somewhat didn't hit in the way that I wanted it to. But this single and the first, I'm not sure if it was part of the being the first thing I'd heard of Bright Eyes for so long, you know, the first new release. Um, it was it was really just, a, it sounded like a huge return to form. Uh, got me more excited than anything this year, I think. Right. Overall artist of the year. Um, do you want to start on this one? I, I will tell you my overall artist of the year. It's someone we've already spoken about and I have a feeling it's probably going to be the same both ways, but I'd be very hard pressed to not say Loathe. Uh, they really have just, really taking control of everything this year all of their content that's gone out it's it's been so on point the whole build up to the release at late last year and then probably one of the last bands to actually get to tour really until all of this was happening it, they've really just just made their mark this year and they already had such a, a great back catalogue of songs but now as i said earlier they've created this entire world around what they're doing and i couldn't be more here for it um it was it really was a toss-up between them and creeper for me Okay, fantastic. For, for yeah. very, very similar reasons. But yeah, it's Dave, I had to pick one. Loaf was the one that really, really gripped me with the, uh, specifically as a guitarist as well. Like the music that they're putting out, it's just honestly floored me when I first heard that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you I think you figured me out there. Loaf gets a shout for me as well. Uh, for all the reasons that uh, we discussed when talking about their album, but also uh, because they've, they've cultivated an, an image and an identity which really draws me in, not just in the way that the band members look, because I do argue that, you know, image, image is still everything in this game. You know, at the, at the end of the day, the, the music is the thing that matters most, but, but image is still massively important. I think they oh, have such a, a, a distinguishable identity. There's a big reason why no one listens to me, Danny. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> so beige. Uh, and, um, and also the, the, the visuals that they're doing as well, the, the visuals around the record and the, and the kind of visuals um, uh, during their live shows are, are just, uh, it's just a full package for me, really. Yeah, it's similar to what we were saying earlier. It's, I really do think it's the future of, of, of musical output where people are kind of being forced to think about every different outlet that they can explore. And there have been bands this year like Loeve and Creeper that have really pushed the boundaries of what you can do with that. And I mm -hmm. do think, and uh, same with Code Orange, it, it, I think this really is the future of what we're going to start seeing. And I'm such a fan of it. I can't wait to see more from all of these bands and see what other people then come up with creatively around, around those ideas. I, I think uh, I was going to shout about Code Orange as well. Uh, I think they've basically written the rule book on how to be a band in 2020 and then yeah. torn it all up again so no one could do it quite as well as them. Um, <laughs> uh, they, they were kind of the ones that, that were the first to jump on that, that live streaming thing. Uh, you know, it was the day after their album came out and we were about to go into lockdown and, and they acted within hours, literally, um, of, of not being able to, to do their album release shows they originally intended it and uh it doesn't look like it. they they just haven't missed the beat this year um but also uh i want to shout out deftones uh yeah, cer sure. certainly for me it's been a real year of discovery uh when it comes to deftones uh for you know as as we've kind of already discussed but you know we've had a brilliant new album from them uh in the form of ohms and and like you were saying earlier it's it's amazing to see that they're a band of their vintage are still doing uh cool new exciting things uh, on record um but uh, White Pony turned 20 this year. Uh, there's been loads of chat around the, the kind of legacy of that record. And I feel like they've revisited and repackaged and re-released that record in quite a, um, 
you know, uh, uh, when when people celebrate album anniversaries, they make a lot of decisions which which feel very kind of cynical, and uh, you question whether it's really necessary at all to be to be celebrating them beyond the the kind of cash flow that it creates. And I feel like Deftones have um, have approached it from a far more graceful uh, standpoint. I, I I basically I think uh, Deftones are the leading example of how to age gracefully as a band. Yeah. Uh, very few bands uh, get get to um, get to say that they're able to do that. I mean, you look at some bands these days trying to hold on to every shred of youth they have left, uh, however few shreds they have, and it's it's quite frankly embarrassing. And Deftones, I, I feel like they would never dream of uh, of being seen in that light, and and constantly want to be um, no, constantly want to be more. moving and kind of um, uh, doing it right, I guess. I mean, other than the flat earth things that we've already covered, it's uh, other than that, the, the perfect band. There, there is, there is a definitely a hole in the flat earth theory. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna thumb that joke in wherever you can, aren't you? <laughs> Mate, you, you will exploit ten out of ten content when you see it. Honestly, oh of course. yeah, of course. Don't worry, when you write, when you write a good song, you'll know. <laughs> thanks mate one day i'll live up to the uh, the likes of chris martin <laughs> <laughs> and on that note that is our albums of 2020 special done and uh dusted um dan do you have anything that you want to want to plug as we head into the new year what are you what are you kind of working on um not a huge amount we've got the joiners is reopening we've started to do seated shows all covid safe we've just finished the first part of um a kind of not so much a restoration but what's the word like a we've basically been redecorating in there cleaning everything up um anyone that listens to this will probably know the venue if not it's an iconic venue in southampton that i work at along with countless others who really it's, it's such a passionate kind of family that really work on this together so w- once we are finally reopen we'll be starting to uh, really start plugging shows. Like we've got Clip Trip coming up um, in the new year is really going to be um, a kind of taste of what we can do with these current uh, restraints and restrictions. So anyone who wants to come down and kind of celebrate the return of live music in its current form, head over to joinuslive.co.uk and hopefully we'll see you soon. I'll be there. I'll be there to, to kiss your face. Probably <laughs> only, only if we're in the right tier. Yeah. COVID COVID permitting. Only if you've brushed your teeth after all of these golden tea bags. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you, Daniel, for no, thank you for having me. Continuing to be the albatross and um, <laughs> more the vulture at this point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> just pecking at what's left. Yeah, um, more more of the street pigeon, you know. <laughs> It's just more of a seagull, you know, <laughs> chipping away at the, uh, the the left bread that you've scattered around this podcast. <laughs> oh, and and as I soar into the sunset like a mighty hawk, I shall say thank you and uh, and uh, I love you. Yeah, I love you too, dude. Thank you very much for having me on here. <laughs> Take care. Peace. Yeah, you too, dude. All right, so there you have it for its fifth year. Bitch and Brews Album of the Year special draws to a close. But that is not all when it comes to looking back at the year in good art in its various forms. Because coming soon to a Bitch and Podcast platform near you, we will be bringing you the world premiere 
of Bitch and Brew's Films of 2020 special. That will be coming in just a few days' time at the time of putting this podcast out. So whether you love your films or you're not that fussed and will watch any old shit, then just make sure you're subscribed to hear that first. I had a lovely, lovely time recording the special with James Hickey, who is a phenomenal writer, film fan and just all-round legend. I've been wanting to get James on the pod for a long time now and this just seemed like the perfect opportunity to do that. Um, Before I go, I just want to say thank you and big love always to Dan Fisher. I very much look forward to seeing his face properly when I can get down to my my favourite local venue, the Joiners in Southampton, for the first time in 10 months. Um, Thank you to all the artists who told us about their favourite albums of the year as well as what they want for Christmas. Hopefully you guys can can get it where where, uh, feasible. Um, And an even bigger thank you to the people working behind the scenes to make this kind of thing happen. You know who you are. Uh, The biggest thank you, however, goes to you, the listeners of Bitch and Brew, the, the bitching crew. Um, for sending in your your album of the year picks or even just for listening to this podcast as we return from a short hiatus it means the absolute world to me Uh, do continue to tell us what your favorite albums of the year are we're on facebook and twitter and instagram links to find bitch and brew on those platforms are in the bio for this episode Um, it is at this point in the albums of the year special that i wish you a happy holidays however This time around, I get to say see you very soon as well for the Films of 2020 special. Until then, thanks again for listening to Bitchin' Brew, and don't forget to be loud, be kind, and be bitchin'. Damn, it feels good to say that again. Bye, everyone.